All right, Justin. Sing me your favorite Christmas song. But if it makes me think of Christmas or Christmas songs, you lose a point. Hmm. So I sing it, but you can't think of. Thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity, thump, thump, look at Frosty go. Thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity, thump, thump, over the hills and snow. Yep, that sounds like a Christmas song. You lose a point. Man, come on. If you hadn't done that last part, I might have given it to you. But when you did the whole like snow, that's a very Christmas song <laughs> note. And you know I'm right. <laughs> yes. Like you, I was like, fuck, did this guy beat me? And then you did that and I was like, haha, gotcha. <laughs> I have to sing it that way. It's supposed, you have to. I'm just saying, you, that is the most Christmassy noise you can make. Because, <laughs> like, for whatever reason, every Christmas song ever, when the word snow is in it, it's that note. So. Snow. Yeah. <laughs> snow. Very Bing Crosby style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some guys wearing a red robe and smoking a pipe and has a Santa Claus hat on and he sings that note. Just saying. <laughs> In front of a fire. The official Christmas note. It is. I, I want to say that's in every Christmas song ever, that note. Just that note is in all of them. But anyway, Heather, uh, your turn. I feel like, yeah, there's not a way I can do this one. I was actually going to do the the little drummer boy because of how much we thought that was a weird Christmas song, but no, I don't have one. Heather, you actually get a point because that's the only correct answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should know not to sing a Christmas song if I say. (laughs) Wait, what did you just do, Heather? I did nothing. You just sang one. You lost your point. You lost a, You lost that point you got, and you lost a point after. No. You started singing Christmas shit. <laughs> I thought it was going to be because it doesn't make you think of Christmas because you think it's a dumb song. You lost, it's, a, it's an actual Christmas song. So obviously it reminds me of a Christmas song. Yeah. No, I, I get I get what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My bad. So you lost the point you got and you lost a point another point. Because you also then lost the game. So you both essentially both just lost a point. I feel like you were feeling generous for giving us those freebies the past few times. So you're you're doing the opposite of the holiday spirit, right? We now. haven't you're actually played away. the game in a while. You had a point and you threw it away. You had it. Yeah, but then, but then you gave me another loss. Yeah, because you didn't. You gave me these two points. Because then you lost the point that you earned, but then you then lost the game also. So you had to lose a point. Dang. 
I mean, that was I know the what most, I should saying now. That was the most preposterous thing I've ever heard anybody do. Just throwing away points like you got a lot of them. We should have sang that. Do you see what I see, Heather? We should have sang that. Set the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? What I see? And Justin just lost another Way point. Way up in the sky, little lamb. What? Come on! How does that remind you? Because it's, it's because a fucking any, Christmas song. Any, his point is, any Christmas song that you sing is going to remind him of Christmas. So don't actually sing a song. Yes, but I also specifically stated, stated sing me a song. That's a that is a Christmas song that does not remind me of Christmas or Christmas songs. <laughs> that was literally the second part of it. So if you sing an actual Christmas song, you lose a point. Yeah. I mean, it was specifically stated in the I rules. Because <laughs> I even said. If you, if it reminds me of those, you lose a point. That's why also why you guys keep losing points. <laughs> That's not even me on my bullshit. That was literally what I said. And I'm just following through with it. <laughs> you guys are nuts. Just nuts. Oh, my word. I don't even know what to say at this point. I don't at all. Just thrown them away. I see. I see the kind of value you guys place in the points. I see. You be spending them like you got them. Y'all be spending these points like I spend iTunes gift cards just within five minutes. Anyway, let's play our theme song that is very not Christmas song like. Anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I am joined by the the point thrower awayers, Heather and Justin. And tonight. We will be talking about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with the Disney Plus series, Hawkeye. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section. And with that, Heather, give us your spoiler-free thoughts on Hawkeye. For me, this one is up there as one of my favorite of the Marvel series that they're doing. Um WandaVision is my favorite, but I think this one's next in line. I just really enjoyed this. Um, the dynamics and the chemistry between the characters, um, especially 
uh, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld, I think is just really good. And it's very entertaining throughout the whole show. And then of course, you know, um, other characters that come in have a really great dynamic. So it's, it's just a really fun show. Um, I, I like how it was paced. I like the um, underlying story of it. I just think it was really well done. Um, you know, it moves along some of the elements that happen um, in previous movies or situations. And yeah, I just, I, I think it's just really, it's just a fun one. Like for me, it just kind of kept my attention more than some of the other ones did from the start. Um, it could have something to do with the fact that like, I love Haley Steinfeld. I think she's great. Um, so I pretty much want to watch anything that she does. So, but yeah, Jeremy Renner, I've always really thought he was a really good Hawkeye. Um, yeah. I mean, and they just have really good people in this, in this, I mean, they've got Florence Pugh, they've got Vera Farmiga. They, they've just got really great people in this, in this show. And how they kind of interact with each other and in the moments that they're needing to interact with each other, it's really well done. So um, I think it has some good um, fight scenes. I think it has, um, yeah, it it just kind of, I mean, there are some things that, um, you know, I mean, it's not like a perfect show or anything like that, but as far as entertainment value um, from my perspective, this is one of the most entertaining Marvel shows that they've done so far it was just very enjoyable, honestly. Like there's, that's really, you know, there's nothing else really to it other than I just really had fun watching the show. It was just surprisingly, not even surprisingly, cause I expected it to be good, but it was just more fun than I expected it to be. So yeah, I really liked it. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah. Um, I too did enjoy watching Hawkeye. I think that it is, um, it it was a very well done, uh, Disney plus feature for the MCU. Um, as far as just how I think it compares, um, to the, to some of the other ones, uh, being that it's Hawkeye and it's more like, you know, these are, we're dealing now with more of the Marvel heroes kind of more at the ground level. It was nice to see, some of the characters that we saw, whether it was, you know, Hawkeye and Kate Bishop and their dynamic, or whether it was some of the other characters that are introduced. So, you know, when you're talking about like some of the ground or like street level heroes that exist in Marvel and everything like that, um, I think that this did a good job of just kind of showing what is going on uh, you know, in a place like New York, you know, after things have happened and everything like that. And and since and we hadn't really gotten to delve into what Hawkeye did and, um, w- w- you know, what he did whenever he was the Ronin and different things like that. And were there any consequences from that? Well, you know, what exactly was that part of his life. So I'm glad that this got to develop some of those things. It got to show us kind of what had been going on with him and some of the repercussions for some of his actions. So I think that this was good. And all the while it's introducing some new characters and we're getting to understand kind of, you know, just looking at the 
the, the MCU from that perspective. So I think it was refreshing in that way. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of this series just kind of is also too like where you rank it with the other ones. A lot of it is going to fall on just what I guess you value or what you perceive as entertaining. Like this one, I don't think it has like the artistic, I guess you could say like craftsmanship values. It's not as artistic as something like WandaVision. It's not as out there or like kind of or like, I guess crazy is kind of a bad word, but, but I guess it's not as like creative, I guess it's something like Loki or something like that. Um, you know, it, it's, it, de- it definitely doesn't have the action of something like went uh, Falcon and the winter soldier had. So it's definitely, it doesn't match up with those series in those categories for me. So for me, it kind of falls somewhere in, but, but I think maybe where it does do a better job than those is probably just the comedy. Like, I think that a lot of this was funny. Like a lot of this was entertaining and it was lighthearted and it wasn't because like funny things were happening as far as jokes and gags. A lot of it was just characters interacting with each other. A lot of it was just the banter back and forth between characters and everybody just being so charismatic about playing their roles. That is what makes this entertaining. So while I don't think it's as strong creatively or action wise as some of the earlier series that we got and and with that, I don't think it ends as strongly as any of the other series that we've gotten. Like, um, I don't, I don't think it ends as strong as those. But despite all of that, I think that the entertainment value is just in uh, the character dynamics. That's the strength of this, I think, more so than the action set pieces or what happens like creatively with the story. The story, for the most part, just feels pretty straightforward. So some of the things that happen, you'll probably see them coming. Uh, and then when you get to the revelations at the end, like I said, I don't think it hits as impactful as some of those earlier series, but that's not to say it's bad or anything. Overall, it's still satisfying. And I think that, and maybe that was by design, you know, this was supposed to be kind of a Christmas themed, um, MCU story featuring Hawkeye and more of like a street level story with the Christmas wrapping. And so maybe it was supposed to be a little lighter, a little more straightforward and just something to make you laugh and kind of cheer, give you some cheer and everything like that. You know, it's, I don't think it's as meant to be as heavy as some of those other series were. And maybe that's okay. You know, I think that it, it, it came, it definitely came out at the right time it definitely feels right watching it because it is Christmas time. And, you know, there's a certain feeling and a certain mood that comes with the holiday season. And this did hit all of those notes. So overall, I did find it uh, v- very enjoyable. Um, as far as where I put it, 
um, I, I would probably say that WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier are my favorites, but I think that this is like right there with Loki for me as just as far as how much uh, I enjoyed it. So, but, but again, another strong, solid effort from Marvel Studios with their Disney Plus series. I think with watching this and watching Spider-Man this in the same week really, I think highlighted to me why with the movies, I have Marvel fatigue and I don't have that same fatigue when I watch the TV shows. And I think it's because while the TV shows might have some some things that might greatly impact the MCU as a whole, like a Loki with the the multiverse and some of that stuff. They are though. They're, they're smaller stories. They're longer because they're TV shows, but it's a more intimate, smaller story. And I think that that's what I'm enjoying so much about these TV shows. It's not always big grandiose shit there's more intimacy to me in the tv shows and i'm really appreciating that and i'm really digging that i really liked uh really liked hawkeye i thought it was one of your more funny mcu series i think this one had just kind of had a lot of heart uh, while I do agree with you, Justin, that the action set pieces are not that spectacular, I really loved almost all the action in that last episode, though. And I thought they got super yeah. creative with some of the stuff they did. And I've never had problems with Jeremy Rayner as, as an actor. But he was just a joy to watch in this. You know, I've never had problems with him or anything like that. And he's always just been a fine, serviceable actor in most everything he's done. But he was just a joy in this. And it wasn't like he did anything ultra dynamic or anything like that. He just played every scene pretty much exactly like you should. And yeah, Haley uh, Steinfeld was great, too. I mean, she's always solid. I mean, she's been solid since fucking True Grit, which she was fantastic in. She's just a very solid actor or actress with this stuff. And, you know, I thought just every performance in this movie was great. I thought the characters they had in it were great. They had the characters they need to have. They've got some surprise characters in there that just kind of further cement why those characters are fucking amazing. And we'll get into that later. Um, I don't remember the actress's name, but she plays Maya in this, the the deaf girl that's missing a leg. Um, the, in the comics. Alakwa Cox or something like that? Yeah. Echo. Yeah, yeah, she's Echo in the comics. And we're going to be getting an Echo show. Yeah. And I'm, I'm stoked about that now because she was fucking fantastic in this. Yeah, she was great. So I'm stoked yeah, to get good. that show. But it's just one of those things that you get these small, intimate stories, especially this one. This one goes back to what I do like in the comics. Like, 
I don't really enjoy big, overarching, grandiose superhero epics in the comics. I like your gritty, street-level shit. And it was really fun to see that in the MCU. Like, that gives me hope about the Moon Knight series. Because that's what Moon Knight is. He's a gritty, street-level guy. He's Moon Knight's pretty much the only hero I read in the MCU. I did pick up Daredevil again. I have been uh, reading Daredevil again. And it's because it's also, like I said, back to gritty street-level bullshit. And I really love it. And there's another tie-in to that. And it's it's a very obvious tie-in. If I'm talking about Daredevil and this, there's it's very obvious who my fucking tie-in mention will be. But, oh, that was a great reveal. It was just great shit. And you'll find out more about that in a little bit with spoilers. But it's just, I really liked uh, Yelena in this. You know? Yeah. I thought Yelena, like... I was really kind of worried how they'd end up handling that. And I really liked, uh, based off the, the in credit sequence from black widow going into this, but I thought the way they handled that was nice. And it was the, it was a, just a nice way to handle it. Could they have handled it better? Probably. Could they have handled it worse? Most definitely. But I think with the way they were telling this story, it was kind of the perfect way to finalize that. You know, her uh, at oddsness with Hawkeye. Uh, I also really loved the fact that they they brought in the fact that Hawkeye is severely hearing damaged. Uh, Because that's something from the comics. And I really appreciate they brought into this because it makes complete sense. Because, you know, he's a regular human that's gone through hell. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and I like the fact that he's just like getting beat the fuck up constantly i like the fact that he's not a fucking perfect fighter i really loved that that when he's fighting people that are street level thugs sure he beats the fuck out of them but when he's beating somebody or when he's fighting somebody with legitimate skill he struggles a lot and i loved that because it shows like his age it shows his limitations it shows that he's been beat the fuck out of for like 25 years straight And then when he's done, he knows very well how to, like, you know, uh, bandage himself up. Or he's like, oh, my knees hurt. So he's taking frozen margarita mix and, like, taping them to his knees because he didn't have ice. (laughs) You know, I just, I loved it. But it also shows his resourcefulness from doing black op missions his whole life. Where you might not have access to normal shit, so you improvise. You know? I loved those aspects of it because I don't think anybody out there gave a fuck about Hawkeye at all in phase one or phase two of the MCU. It's it's age of Ultron that kind of made him a interesting character. When he's sitting there and he's talking to Wanda and Quicksilver and he's like, look, I'm a normal fucking person with a bow and arrow and we're fighting robots but I'm gonna go do it and if you guys want to do it let's go because I'm just a person so you know that whole speech he gave to him and stuff like that that was the first time I was like oh maybe this Hawkeye isn't a piece of shit 
maybe he is an interesting character. And I really, he's just kind of actually been one of my favorite MCU characters since then. And this kind of highlights why. He is just a fucking person. And all he does is just, he goes out there and does his best. And he sacrifices so much to just try to do what he can. And I think that that's just like a really nice thing. When you're dealing with fucking godly other heroes, you know, like everyone else is damn near a god. And he's like, ugh, I have to stand because my knees will creak. And I can relate to that. I can relate to just being in constant pain. So. Like, there's just like, I feel that there's just a lot to like about this, even if it isn't as visually pleasing as like a WandaVision or a Loki or as action packed as a, a Falcon and Winter Soldier. This show, I think, honestly, does some of the best character work we've seen out of an MCU series. Because it relies on that. I mean, this is, it's just six episodes of Hawkeye trying to do what he needs to do. And you get to watch Kate Bishop grow. And you get to watch their relationship grow. And it's just honestly very fun to watch. My one main critique of this show so much goddamn Christmas music. Fuck. It was like audio torture. Just every time I turn around, more fucking Christmas music. Ugh. Then that's just truly terrible. That's my really big knock against this because it's just all over the fucking place. Like every episode has no less than 49 different Christmas songs in it. Constantly fucking going. Ugh. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Anyway. Uh, recommendations, of course? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, what you got? Yeah, I recommend it. Um, I, I, I think that you said it really well, Sterling, with the, it's a lot of character development it's a lot of character growth and character work and i think that is why i really enjoyed this and just seeing the the mentorship that you're seeing with these characters with uh kate and um hawkeye and just you know just yeah the growth and development and all of it is just really it is really well done so um yeah it's just it's entertaining it um you know you you get to see like this, this broken man sort of really kind of trying to work through some things so that he can sort of live up to that potential that he, he once had kind of thing, you know? And, and um, yeah, it's just really, it's, it's intriguing. It's captivating because you want to know what is going to happen with these characters and how this 
these relationships in this show are going to grow and things like that. And um, honestly, like (laughs) it is worth it for the dynamics between Kate and Hawkeye. And it's worth it for the relationship between Kate and Yelena, because I think that was one of the best things about this whole show. It was fantastic. It was so entertaining and hilarious. They are so great together when they're doing their scenes. Um, Yeah, I I just think it, it, and it does have some, has some twists, has a few curveballs, but again, I, yeah, it's, it's kind of more of a low impact, you know, just a slow, a slow build of developing specific characters. And that's what it was meant to be from this, um, with still the overarching story of moving certain things along, but that's not the main focus necessarily of this show as a whole, it feels like. So I appreciated that. And I would say probably my biggest complaint really is the fact that they don't really have any in credit scenes in this, which kind of sucks because those are always fun. But obviously that's not really a huge complaint. It's just like, a, oh man, I was hoping for that, you know? So, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really well done. Great characters, um, great acting uh, yeah, and, and there is some good action. I agree about the last episode. There's so much good action there um, and all of that. So I, yeah, I really appreciated the show. I liked it a lot and I do recommend it. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it 87 um, macaroni and cheese dinners with hot sauce out of 100. What you got, Justin? Yeah, I recommend it too. Um, you know, all of these, honestly, all of these Marvel series are good. I mean, there's not a single one that I wouldn't recommend. And, you know, I talked about this in the Loki um, podcast that we did when, you know, people were, when we were kind of expressing fears about like, well, what if everything gets too comic book with the multiverse and all of this kind of stuff like that? And I remember walking away from that kind of telling everybody that as long as Marvel focuses on the characters and less on the the, the comic book fluff, I mean, it's going to be there. But if you focus more on character dynamics and characters than the comic book stuff, then the material is going to succeed. You know, the it's it's going to succeed like. And I think that that's just true for uh, whatever you watch when it comes to Marvel. The reason why Spider-Man, that movie is so good and why people love it so much is because of what it does to the Spider-Man character. It's the growth of the Spider-Man character that makes those that trilogy good. Uh, what made WandaVision good was the growth of Wanda and Vision throughout that series. What made Falcon and the Winter Soldier good is the growth and the development of Falcon becoming Captain America and his relationship with Bucky and all of that that happens in that. Also, the U.S. agent, which was, oh man, that was a great character journey with the U.S. agent. Loki, is the same way, like the relationship between him and Sylvie and all of that that happened and kind of where Loki starts in that and where he ultimately arrives. Sure, the comic book stuff is all in there, but it's the arcs that we care about. 
And Marvel is so good at those arcs. I mean, the only time this year I saw something MCU that I didn't like was Eternals. And that was because it was too many characters. You know, we talked about it in length. It was too busy. There was too much comic stuff it was trying to do. And it didn't have the time to fully develop all these characters that it introduced. That's the only one that was really, that honestly lacked in quality this, this year, you know, and some are going to be better than others. People are going to have their favorites, blah, blah, blah. They're all of the stuff is good. Everything was good this year, except for really the Eternals. And this is no exception to that rule. It's the characters that you're here for. And again, the MCU just uh, delivers on that. The only way, the only real place to make distinctions is just what do you like better? Uh, do you lean towards action? Do you like, like, you know, satire and creativity and stuff like that? You know, movie watchers lean different ways. This may not have a lot of those dressings to it, but what it does have is, like I said, the comedic beats are, I think, the strength of this. It's uh, it's very funny and it's very entertaining. And I think that that's more like the writing and dialogue than anything. But it, it but it's that quality of dialogue. You know, it's fun to watch. It was never a bore or a chore to sit through. And any and even when things slow down and you just have characters interacting, I really enjoyed all the interactions, whether it was, you know, Hawkeye talking to a tracksuit mafia member or, you know, Yelena and Kate Bishop sitting down at a table uh, at, at a table in Yelena's apartment or whatever. What regardless of what was happening with the characters, their interactions with each other is really uh, what you pay for. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think people will enjoy this. I think people will be entertained by this. The only caveat, or and it's not even really a caveat, the only weakness I think it has is that I do think it could have ended a little stronger. Heather kind of alluded to it with the after credit scene, and I and I won't spoil anything here. I mean, there is an after credit scene, but uh <laughs> but what it is, I think, you know, people are gonna be split on how they feel about that. And I'm sure we'll get into it and everything like that, but uh, it's going to be kind of polarizing. I imagine. I think some people are going to be feeling it and like it. And other people are going to wish that they, that we had gotten a little bit more from the ending. So that's, I think really the only like weakness of this. And, and even then it's a a minor, but, but the whole series and the whole story is good because like we said, they focus on the character development. Uh, with that being said, we're going to go, we'll go 90, uh, uh, Hank Pym arrows, blowing up to the size of a building out of a hundred. I think anybody that gets mad at the end credit scene of the last episode misses the point of the whole series. I don't know. That's just my first thought. Cause I, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is a very fitting end credit thing for this. And I, I just didn't think twice about it. Now you've got me thinking about it. That's the only reason I'm talking about it right now is 
Now I'm thinking about it. I just, I didn't even think about something like that. It just, to me, I, anyway, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, no, I really liked it. Like I said, I really liked the fact that they kind of got to some street level stuff with it, which is just something that has kind of escaped the MCU for a while. I mean, granted, I will say this, a lot of their movies haven't been your street level heroes. So it's kind of hard to fault them. For that aspect. Um, because honestly, this is the first real kind of street level shit we've gotten since what? Genuinely the first Spider-Man movie? Like Homecoming was kind of, I think, the closest we had to a anything street level with directly the MCU. I know technically there's the Netflix uh, MCU stuff, but what they're considering canon from that is still yet to be determined. We do know that some of the characters from that have shown up in certain aspects and certain things, but it could just be those characters. We don't know if they're specifically counting the events from those shows as canon with some of that stuff. So that's still debatable, but it was just really kind of nice to get back to that stuff. Just your more basic stuff, just a bunch of thugs and a bunch of heroes. Like I think that I think a lot of stuff's gotten away from that. And I think they've gotten away from that in a lot of the comics, too, because it feels like there's a gigantic crossover event in either Marvel and DC every other month. There's just a major event just constantly fucking going. And it's just like, that's exhausting. You just always have something major all the time. You know, it's just the world is ending all the time. It's nice to just kind of have it be the world's not ending, but this is still something important to these characters. Like I like it goes back to just what I feel like a lot of people enjoyed about comics originally and stuff. It goes back to why comics became an important thing in people's lives in general, because you got to see people doing everyday stuff in an extraordinary way kind of scenario, you know, like people, it's easier to relate to people when it's like a bank robbery or something like that than it is fucking Galactus is going to eat your planet. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think a lot of people at this point even forget that like Superman very early on was just fighting fucking bank robbers and criminals just you're in general criminal and it's just i don't know it feels kind of nice to get back to a more simplistic type of thing with that it's just like i said that the world is never ending at any point in the show reality is not going to stop existing any of that shit the only thing that these people are worried about is whether or not like them and their friends may die And it's just a more simplistic story. And like I said, it's a smaller, more intimate story. And I think that that's something that I've really enjoyed that these MCU TV series kind of bring. Because it might be nine episodes in like WandaVision's case, or it might be six like every other series' case. I think, well, actually, I say that what if I think was nine. But it just allows for more character stuff. You get to 
delve into some things a little bit more. Like if they had done the Loki series as a movie, you wouldn't have gotten to see that great relationship develop between him and Sylvie. Like to the degree in which you did in the TV show, they wouldn't have been able to do it in that amount of time. And this allows people to take their time. Like if they did a Hawkeye movie to do the same story of mentoring Kate Bishop, but doing this and that, they would have just glossed over so many things. You know, where this like they spent, I mean, no, this really in this boy, they spent like five minutes on just him teaching her how to flick a coin with deadly accuracy. Like, and I know that sounds weird, but it's kind of a really fun and joyful moment in the show. Like, it's a very delightful thing to watch because you just get to see people enjoying each other's company. And it's just kind of a breath of fresh air in the, in the MCU. So I just, I really enjoyed this outside of the Christmas music, which made me want to stab pencils in my ears and be deaf like Hawkeye. Uh, other than that, uh, for me, I'm going to give this TV show. You know what? I'm going to give it a 90. I'm going to give it a 90. Al's picking up recently shrink armored vehicles out of 100. Uh, spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. I think first and foremost, the most important spoiler we could say or should talk about or anything like that is motherfucking Vincent D'Onofrio showing up Mm. and just being a goddamn badass once again. Like. Yep. His kingpin, bro. His kingpin is just. Is to me is one of the best villains in the MCU. If you take the Daredevil stuff and the, the, the Punisher stuff. And if they do count that as the MCU, he's got to be a top tier villain now. Even in this, I'd almost argue he is because. He is just. The most terrifying person ever. In this. Like, I know back when they did the Ben Affleck one. They needed. You needed to have a genuinely big man be your kingpin with Michael Clark Duncan. And I don't really have too many problems with Michael Clark Duncan being the kingpin. I think there might be some issues with the story with some of that stuff, but I don't actually have an issue with what Michael Clark Duncan did or anything like that. But Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk takes a villain that is menacing and brooding and threatening and just almost purely evil and plays him with such nuance and layers and just so much depth. Like he's still an evil man. Cause like he's sitting there talking to Maya like he did not order 
her father more or less set her father up to be killed. Mm. And when he's talking to her, I think it's it's tough to not genuinely believe that Wilson Fisk doesn't love her like it's his daughter. Even though he had her father killed. He still, at least to him, he genuinely feels like he does love her. And he believes what he's saying. Because I think he truly means it. And I think that that's what makes him that scary. Is he is so... Like, what's the word? I don't want to say manipulative, but he is just so dedicated to what he does and to what he is that he can genuinely love someone and also want them dead. And to him, that's not a contradiction. And I, and I don't mean like, Oh, I'm so mad. I want to kill him. No, he genuinely wants them dead. Just wants them dead forever without a second thought. But also genuinely love them like a daughter. And I think that that's what adds to that character so much. And also, I love, I love how they did his fight sequence with Kate in this. Because so much of that is exactly like the Kingpin, how he fights in the comics. It was so authentic to that, but also just so authentic to this show. Like that's what this, this show really does is it or does really well is a lot of the aspects that it does, that it wants to be comic accurate in with it's authentic to them, but it doesn't go out of its way to be comic booky about it. But like just having the Kingpin being there and being this just brute force of a man. Like that, sh- that, that when you first see him, like not when you first see him, but when he, you you first start that fight between him and Kate, and she shoots him from like six feet away with an arrow, and then he just looks at it, breaks it, and just barrels forward, and then gets hit by a goddamn car. That was tight. And then he just gets the fuck up, and just proceeds. To obliterate this this young woman. But I liked the way they did that fight. Because her thing was about being quicker. And trying to counter what he was doing. And all this other stuff. And it didn't work. All it, She got some shots in because of it. But then at the same time it didn't work. Because also he's just such a behemoth. <laughs> you Like you grab his arm. And he just fucking hits you the fuck off of it. Like. That was probably my favorite part in that scene when she gets up to like more or less kind of put him in an arm bar type of situation and he just swats her off of his arm and all this stuff. And then she does all this and then goes and hits the trick arrows that explode near him. And then you just see him like you don't see him get up. He just walks the fuck away from that. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's very that's very much the kingpin. And all of that stuff. And then 
he's just walking down the street. And like, I, I do have a question for you guys. Do you think the King's Finn's dead? No. No. I don't I think either. They, like, yeah, they brought him be. in for <laughs> one episode, and, like this great villain of the universe, and then suddenly he's just dead after one episode. I just don't think he is. Yeah, he better not be dead because he hasn't done enough yet. So that can't be it for him. I don't think he is because they intentionally like you You don't kill the kingpin off screen. You don't kill the kingpin off screen. You can kill anyone else you want off screen. You can't kill the kingpin off screen. And I think it's going to be one of those things where that gunshot goes off. It's I honestly, I think it was him that shot her. Honestly, not like a death thing, but I think he shoots her like in the shoulder and he goes, I don't like, and I, I just have this feeling he's going to either take the gun or have his own gun. And he shoots her in a non-fatal way. And he's going to say, the only reason why I did it like this is because I do love you like a daughter and leaves her to bleed out. And that's going to be like us, like the start or a flashback scene in the Echo series. I just have a feeling it's going to be something like that. I'm not saying that's specifically going to be it. I just have a feeling because that's a very kingpin thing to do sometimes. Is. To also show what he considers a weird mercy. Like, you know, I'm not going to brutally murder you. You're just going to slowly bleed out. Not going to crush your skull in. And that's him being merciful. But I mean, just every time I saw him in the show. I kept having flashbacks to that scene in the the first season of Daredevil. When he crushes that man's skull in the car door. Because just fuck, I love him as a villain. He's so fantastic. And I really kind of loved said. Do it. I've always said that like Vincent D'Onofrio in general, he plays the best villain. Like he's so he's such an excellent actor, but mostly at being a villain. I think it's because he has such a weird control over the dynamic range of his voice. Like when he speaks softly, it's still very intimidating. And then whenever he turns it to 11 and yells, it's like, fuck, that's intimidating. Like, and he does that so much as the kingpin. Like, I like it whenever he does the scenes where he's, it almost feels like he's whispering. And it's like a weird thing that like magnetically draws you closer to him. Which is terrifying because it's like, Oh, no, now I'm so close he can just grab my skull and crush it. Fuck, why did I come toward him? It's very hypnotic like that. Anyway, I can move on now from this. Um, One thing I specifically, there's a very specific scene in this also in this last episode uh, that I wanted to talk about. And it's, 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 to me, and this is one of my favorite fight sequences I've seen in anything in MCU. I loved that ice rink fight. 
I thought that that was incredibly fun. And one of my favorite things in it is very early on in the fight, Kate Bishop, like, uses her bow as a springboard to jump up on a guy. Yeah. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, that's fucking ingenious. Like, as much as I have issues with stuff in the MCU, I have to give them credit for finding fight and stunt coordinators that feel dedicated to bringing what feels like these characters' unique skills into the fights. You know, these aren't the same fight sequences that we got in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You know, those aren't the same as Spider-Man. Those aren't the same as some of the, the, the fight sequences we get in a WandaVision. It's not the same as what we get in Endgame. They're very good at finding what type of fight coordinator they need for what kind of fights they need. You know? Even if you look at this and something that is a more closer approximation, like a Black Widow. The fights in this are different than Black Widow's. Because... Hawkeye doesn't fight like Black Widow. And neither do thugs. So I liked the fact that they brought it in like that. It, it was a very yeah. like appropriate way to do it. And I, I do have to give kudos to Marvel for actually taking the time to do that. Because a lot of studios and a lot of production companies would just kind of have the stock guys they have. And they'd just be like, well, do your best on this one. Doesn't matter if it's the same. And, you know, this, like, just doing all the arrow shooting and and the the fighting with the bows and stuff like that, it was just, it was very fun to watch. Like I said, that little springboard thing, I was like, that's ingenious. I would have never thought in a million years to do something like that in a fight sequence. It just seems like that was the first thing they thought of. When they're like, oh, they're both archers springboarding off the bow. And so I just... So much of this was just smart. And this was a genuinely funny show. I, it, yeah, it, it just really kind of worked on several layers. And so much so that I'm, I'm overlooking how much fucking Christmas was in this stuff. Just so much Christmas. Now I know it's kind of technically based around Christmas and shit, but I can look past that a little bit because it didn't technically have to be Christmas. Nothing in this story is inherently dedicated and needed to be Christmas. I know they use Christmas as the artificial deadline as to when Clinton Barton needs to get home, but technically you could have done the same thing and said it was the wife's anniversary or one of his kids' birthdays or something, and it still could have kind of given him the same urgency. So it didn't necessarily have to be Christmas. So... I kind of will forgive it for being very Christmassy because it does. It is a more universal story than a Christmas story. So I'll forgive it, I guess. Um, and one th- final thing I want to say, and I know I've, I've barely talked about anything in, except for the last episode, really, but I, I do want to give you guys more, some more time to talk about some of the stuff, but uh, shout out to Adam Pascal for being lead New Yorker number one in the uh, Steve Rogers musical scene from the, the end credits. 
anybody that doesn't realize this, um, Adam Pascal is a fairly well known and like Broadway singer. Uh, he was in Rent, mm. played Roger in the original Rent, and in the movie. Um, also played the lead singer of the band that Jack Black is kicked out of in School of oh, Rock. Oh, that guy! I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he is he's the lead New Yorker in the musical. So he's the guy that starts the singing when you get the musical number at the end. So that was him. I just thought that was really funny because I saw him. I was like, I know that guy, you know, rent. So that was just like a little <laughs> moment for me. That I really enjoyed. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really disagree with uh, anything that you were uh, talking about as far as like the fight sequences and stuff like that. And yeah, and that is one of the things that makes the MCU so great is just how different all of the fights feel to the characters that we're watching. And the thing about Clint Barton is that he's like a lot like Black Widow. He's very resourceful. But while Black Widow has all of these athletic gifts and she's very nimble and, you know, as Yelena would say, she likes to pose too much and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Clint is more like, you know, he's a little more practical. He kind of has to be two steps ahead of the person. He'll shoot an arrow and they'll think he missed. And then somehow that arrow will come back and help him escape the situation. Or while the person is trying to kill him, he's looking for a way to exit or whatever the case may be. You know, he's very observant of his surroundings and and when you think you've got him, he's probably already concocted two or three ways to escape the situation. And of course, he's a marksman. So he's always trying to get distance so that he can, in most scenarios, he's trying to distance himself from harm so that he can shoot you. That's that's the strategy of that character. So I like how, and then, you know, when he's in a close range situation, he can melee with his bows and with his bow and his arrow and stuff like that. So I like how in a lot of close range fights, he's using the bow and arrow for melee attacks. Uh, so it does make it feel different from watching somebody like Spider-Man fight or watching, you know, um, Sam fight with his Falcon wings or whatever the case may be. You know, Clint Barton feels completely different from them. So and yeah, I do think that that last uh, scene uh, where they fought on the rink um that that was probably the, the the best fight scene that they did. And it was cool that him and Kate finally got to be back to back after Kate had kind of had her development and you got to kind of see them uh, as a co as like a perfectly cohesive team, which is what we were building to was to a moment like that. So it was very gratifying to see them together. And then one will fire an arrow. Then, then, you know, Hawkeye will fire an arrow after her and then that and then hit that arrow, causing it to change its trajectory and do something to some tracksuit bad guys or whatever. So all of that was uh, good stuff as far as the choreography is concerned. Uh, man, uh, Yelena is becoming 
one of my favorite characters. Like whenever we did the the Black Widow movie, one of the highlights of that movie was Florence Pugh as Elena. And and the reason why is just because, uh, you know, the way that Florence plays the character and the way that they write for this character, how like blunt she can be and how like she's just so like she almost just has no filter. She's because she's basically going to say what she thinks and situations that are funny to her or something that seems like serious to her. And then the, you know, and she's really talking about it, like how, like the, like the jacket with the pockets when she was having that conversation with, uh, with, um, Scarlett Johansson and black widow and everything. And like that, or like in this, there are little moments like that, you know, her, talking about how delicious this macaroni is or how this is her first time in New York and you need to tell me, like, um, what what do I need to go visit? And then Kate is sitting there like, uh, what are you going to do? I don't trust you. Like, why are you here? Are you going to try to kill me? You know, Kate is, like, questioning why she's in her apartment. And she's just going on having this, like, conversation as if, like, they are the the best of friends. And I just loved the contrast there. And then when it was time for the conversation to get serious and make that turn, Florence was great at that too. But I really just like the Yelena character. I like how she reacts to things. I like other characters when they interact with her. Um, She's great. So more of her, please. And honestly, her and Kate were so good together. I mean, you could almost just have a show with Yelena and Kate, and I would just be down for that because I'm pretty sure that that yeah. would be hilarious and funny throughout. So, yeah, I really liked uh, those characters. Um, to um, talk about quick, some Justin, of the earlier. I, I, yeah. I, I just want to specifically talk about that scene with Yelena in the apartment. Um, yeah. Apparently, a lot of that was improvised. Yeah. Okay. Like, especially the scene where she's just like, oh, are you done? And Kate's like, yeah. And then she just starts throwing a bunch of hot sauce on the macaroni and cheese and starts eating it. That was all improvised. Like, Mm -hmm. apparently, they were kind of worried about how much hot sauce she just put on the mac and cheese because she did legitimately take a bite of it. And wow. But they were like, yeah, no, she just did it and went with it. Like. And that's that's why I wanted to stop you real quick on that is just because that's very distinct to that scene you were talking about and kind of to me makes it a little bit more impressive. Yeah, that just speaks to Florence's talent and how she plays the character. So as sad as I was that we're not going to have Black Widow in this, I mean, I think that Yelena is definitely not saying that she's just going to root that she's a perfect replacement uh, for Scarlet, but she's definitely going to fill that hole with something different, you know, something that's just going to be just as compelling as what Scarlet brought to the black widow role, but in a different way. Now, I don't, I can't say better or anything like that. Cause it's so different, but she definitely is, I'm glad that she's in this. I'm glad that we introduced this character and I'm glad that this character is getting to interact and be kind of in this world with some of these other characters that we're familiar with. Cause she's just uh, a joy to watch. Um, I, 
to talk about some of the earlier episodes, I really loved Kate's memory of the New York invasion. I thought that was really cool where you, you get to see her with her father and everything and buildings are falling apart and, you know, the aliens are invading and the Avengers are down there fighting and how she saw Hawkeye fighting and was just captivated by him and was just mesmerized by who he was and him and the fact that, you know, you're this regular person and you're out there fighting with these superpower people and how impressed she was by that. And you, you just saw that, that actress that was playing her young Kate, you just saw the admiration in her eyes. And I love the sort of opening credit montage. It does where you see her training, becoming a marksman, becoming a martial artist, winning all these trophies, doing all these things like basically framed her life to try to be as much like Hawkeye from a distance that she could be. So I thought that all of that was cool. And then I also liked when you're introduced to older Kate and you see that she's this kind of person who's taken all these chances and she doesn't really have, she, she's got these skills and all this talent, but doesn't really have any direction and everything like that. And then I just love how all that comes together, how she comes together with Hawkeye and, you know, Hawkeye being a father and everything like that. I think, you know, he looked at her and he saw some of that in, you know, he saw like some of what she wanted. I think he saw a lot of his kids and her just to a certain extent, like just like her her, you know, not having that father figure and everything like that. And, you know, I think that there was just a part of him that felt the the fatherly part of him to sort of fill that void in a way as the series went on. Of course, he was reluctant at first and stuff like that. But as we get deeper into this story and he realizes how much how much some of this is his responsibility because of stuff that he did as the Ronin. I just like how that story came together. You know, I liked how, I, I liked how he didn't accept her at first. I liked how, as you were getting more of this story, we find out more about his involvement and some of the guilt involved with that. But then also some of the father in him sort of, um, lead into the kind of the relationship that he had with Kate. So, all of that was good to me. And like I said, that's really like the strength of this is the characters and everything like that. Um, jumping back to the final episode, though, uh, and, and the kingpin and everything like that. I love the way that in the episode before episode five, the reveal was great. It was a nice surprise. I hadn't read any rumor mills about this or anything like that. So I didn't know that he was going to be in this. I knew that they had signed the Kingpin. I knew that like uh, Vincent was coming back to play him. And I knew that Charlie Cox was coming back to play Daredevil, but I just didn't know where we would see them. So it was a pleasant surprise when it was revealed that it was Kingpin. I kind of had a feeling, but you know, you don't know till you see it. So that was a great reveal um, at the end of um, episode five. And then when we get the Kingpin, um, I, I really did like him. And hopefully we'll get to dive a little bit more into his relationship with uh, with Maya 
in the Echo series and everything like that. I'm sure we're going to do that. So I'll just hold out for that because you could tell that they definitely seem very close to each other. We didn't really get um, any kind of like scenes to kind of show what it was like growing up with Kingpin there or any of the interactions they had when she was younger or anything like that per se. So hopefully we'll get some of those story tid- tidbits to kind of delve a little bit more into what uh, Maya's relationship is uh, with him and everything like that, because you just got the sense that it was bigger than just, you know, boss and subordinate and different things like that, you know, him calling her my mayor and everything like that. So I just felt like there was something more there that we didn't get the full story of. And I hope that we get that full story. Um, I liked all the stuff with uh, Kingpin and Kate as well. Um, The only thing that I would have probably kind of changed about it. And I know that there were some people complaining like, man, this dude got hit by a car and got blown up. And then, you know, he was still, uh, and then he got knocked out and then he got back up and was still walking. No, uh, what Sterling said is if there's anybody that's mad about that or thought that that was unrealistic or whatever, that's Kingpin. He's hella durable. He's beaten up Spider-Man before. I've seen this dude like hold his own with other Marvel superheroes because he's just such a big, imposing brute, but he's also extremely smart, but he's a trained fighter as well. You know, he's <laughs> he's the real deal. You know, he's probably like like you know, whatever famous mobster or cinema mobster you can think of, they probably aspire to be like Kingpin physically, just how big he is, how imposing he is. So I was fine with the whole getting ran over by a car, getting blown up and everything like that. I think the only thing I kind of would have changed about it, though, is that Kate, um, I guess I kind of, I, I don't know, I wouldn't have put her over him that strong you know like if anything i don't know if i would have had him on the ground knocked out for a little for the time that he was after that explosion i almost would have had him maybe like go through a wall or something like go out of view where like kate really couldn't see him and then like maybe he could have like got up on his own power and like rolled up his sleeves. Like, okay, I'm going to rip, I'm about to rip this girl apart. And then maybe, you know, he hears sirens or something and he takes off and runs. I don't know if I would have given her such like that quasi knockout or whatever that was that happened with the explosion. I don't know if I would have given her that this early. I think you know, I would have rather her been on the brink of death and barely escaped him or something like that. I don't think I would have given her that early of like a victory over him. But 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 that's probably like my only qualm with that. But other than that, I really did uh, 
like it, though. I, I did like everything that happened. And the moment that she had with her mother afterwards and her mother going to jail and then kind of being like, oh, are you going to, you know, Kate, is this what you are? You're going to call the cops on your mother. You're going to let me go to jail. And her uh, doing the right thing and being the 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 hero that we know that, that she is and finally uh, facing her mother in that way and her mother having to make that realization uh, in that way. Um, and the actor that, and the last thing I'll say is that the actor that plays um, Jack in this, he was good too. Um, Tony Dalton, who plays Jack. I like that Jack character, man. I liked him. I liked like how positive he was whenever they would have certain interactions and he was talking about like these um books that he was reading about you know possibly being a stepfather and stuff like that and how you know him trying to talk about how Kate is feeling and how Kate is reacting this way because she feels that I'm a threat and the only way to get past that is to openly communicate with her. I just really liked that character. I really liked him and then it was cool that he kind of got to do some sword fighting and show off some of the skills that he had uh, at the end of it too. So again, even minor characters like that were fun or interesting in some sort of way or when they got to interact with the cast they were funny so yeah um and i guess the last thing i'll say is just to talk about the uh closing credit scene and what i mean by i guess um this maybe not uh ending as impactful as the other ones and what i mean by that is you know sometimes and i guess this is just kind of the way it kind of goes with these marvel movies and everything like that. You know, these past few series, and of course with a lot of our Marvel movies, when you get to the end, there's usually something that leads to or tells us about or tells us about something that is going to happen in the future. Or there's some sort of little tidbit or something like that to to get you kind of excited about what's to come. And so when you get to the end of this, there is a like a five, a four and a half, five minute uh, musical scene that they do of that Rogers musical. Uh, I can do this all day <laughs> or Rogers, the musical, whatever it was called, which I do like it because, um, you know, I, well, I loved it when it was introduced in the earlier episodes. And Clint is sitting there and he was like, wait a minute, this is BS. Ant-Man wasn't in this. They just added him. And, you know, it's kind of this commentary on how, like, sometimes we take historic events and stuff like that and we commercialize them or change them completely kind of to make a a buck or a dollar or whatever. And we sort of kind of glamorize things that weren't probably that glamorous to those who experienced it. You know, Hamilton, I think is a good example of that. You know, what actually happened with those framers and people and what Hamilton is, is pretty much is a, that's a pretty big jump from what the actual history was, but you know, it's glamorized and just, yeah. Are you saying George Washington was not a rap artist? Exactly. I cannot and, believe you. Um, Alex and Alexander Hamilton was <laughs> Puerto Rican. Um, yeah, was a Puerto Rican or man. Thomas of Jefferson but, was a black man. 
Yeah, I refuse exactly. to believe that, Justin. One hundred percent accurate. <laughs> but I digress. But that's why I kind of liked it because you know there are like that. There are perfect examples of that in our own society. We kind of have a tendency to do that kind of thing all the time. So it was nice to be on the other side of it and see an Avenger looking at his experience, which traumatized him, which in a way hurt him because his hearing has been altered because of a lot of those experiences and everything like that. And a lot of that I imagine could bring painful memories or PTSD or anything. And he has to sit here seeing it being commercialized and fabricated and changed up just so it can kind of fit in this musical. So I definitely get what they were going for, but you get a little inkling of that early in the series. But then at the end of the series, it's like a full kind of performance of the I can do this all day song, which I I was fine with. I laughed and I thought that it was funny. And when you listen to the lyrics, it's pretty funny, like because you can see where they're pulling things from and things that are inaccurate and things that they say about the characters and how they sum up how the characters are. And they're just such like misrepresentations of a lot of these characters and you know so it's very funny to listen to but you know but but if you were watching that scene expecting there to be some sort of tidbit expecting there to be something that was going to lean into the future projects or there was going to be some sort of clue to something we were doing later you didn't get that and the reaction to that has been very polarizing. There's been a lot of people who just said they hated the scene because they sat through it thinking that there was going to be something revealed and there wasn't anything revealed. So I just thought I would at least uh, bring that up. And I kind of get that, you know, um, and, and, I, and I don't know, I guess as far as how I feel about it, I can see it both ways. Like on one end, this was supposed to be a lighthearted Christmas themed Marvel story. So it ending on a lighter note and it just trying to say, hey, Merry Christmas from Marvel Studios and everything like that. And just kind of ending on a just a a lighter kind of more non-serious note definitely fits the tone of the show and everything like that. But I guess uh, I can also see it from a person's perspective who was disappointed because This is what you condition us to expect. You know, we get to the end of the Loki and there's that big Kang reveal. And it's like, oh, my God, Kang the Conqueror. You know, we get to the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and we see, um, you know, we see, uh, you know, we have this big moment where uh, Falcon becomes Captain America and accepts that and everything like that. And then we see um, the U.S. agent is recruited and everything like that. And the same woman that we saw in Black Widow and all this stuff is now doing something with the U.S. agent. So it's like and the power broker. So it's like, oh, man, what's going to happen there at the end of uh, WandaVision? You know, we get to see some scrolls and, you know, um, 
you know, we get to see a little bit of the scrolls and something's about to happen in space. And then we see Wanda and she's messing with something and there, and you can hear her kids voices and you're wondering what is she concocting or what's going to happen with that? You know, all these other series kind of leave you with something to kind of hang your hat on. And then we get to the end of this and it's, I can do this all day. So I get it. You know, I could get some of the disappointment with that. So I thought that that at least needed to be said. You know, I get the polarizing uh, um, reception uh, that that this is getting. And then that's kind of why I say I don't believe it ends as strongly or as impactful as those other ones. But I maybe get why that was by design, because this was supposed to be lighthearted either way. So there you have it. I get that. It's just to me, nothing about the show is meant to truly impact the MCU as a whole. You know, it might in the degree of, we might end up seeing Kate Bishop be the replacement Hawkeye, you know, that's where this leads to with some of that stuff. But overall, it's not like it's not like a Loki where you're like, oh, here's the multiverse or in. Uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, where you get uh, Lady Hydra recruiting the U.S. agent and you or WandaVision, where you get more type of possible multiversal things and stuff like that. This was never meant to be that show. So I get what you're saying, why people are saying that like, or or feeling that they were conditioned to expect more. It's just like what I said earlier. I feel like you're missing the point of this series then. Like, I know I said that, like I meant you, Justin. That's not how I meant it. I'm just talking about the in general people that are saying we're, we're conditioned to think it should always be big. I'm like, just thinking, what did you just watch for six episodes then? Like, what did you think you were watching? Because nothing about this was ever meant to be that big. And it's very obvious the whole show, it's not meant to be that big. So I just don't know what you, what people were expecting to be impactful in the show. Were they expecting like an end sequence where it's like all this shit happened and then it flashes to fucking Nick Fury in outer space on the space station type of shit? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it, but I mean, but, but I think what they mean is like, I mean, I don't think you necessarily needed to go space with it because I mean, obviously we're just in New York, we're not in space, but you know, you introduced the Kingpin. Could there have been maybe something at the end of that, you know, could it have panned up and maybe we're above the building and maybe you see a silhouette of something that maybe looks like daredevil or could you have like shown like the aftermath or maybe Kingpin's body laying there and you see it move slightly or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, you could have, done something you know there could have been something with respect to what happened in this show and this universe and things like that there could have been something you could have given a little tidbit you know you could have given a little something so i'm thinking that's what people were expecting they were expecting some sort of teaser 
to something that was coming, whether it was street level or whether it was space or whether it was uh, any of those things. I just think they were they were expecting something. And many people feel that they got nothing because they don't consider the musical anything is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I I, I suppose it's just to me like I wouldn't I, I like the fact that they didn't show anything with the kingpin after this because they're saving that for Echo to me. You know what I mean? That's being saved for Echo. Yeah, that was just an example. No, no, I'm I know, I know. Show I'm that just, thing, I'm, but that was I just mean, giving I'm examples. Just, I'm just going through stuff in my head, though. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you know. So, like, I'm glad they didn't show that. I they could have done a Daredevil thing, but I don't know if they're how much they're going to use of Daredevil. You know, um, and I think that that's part of it too. They, I think, part of it they wanted to see with this. I think they want to see how much of a reception. Kingpin and Daredevil get from No Way Home in this because if people are really popping for those characters, then I think that leads to Marvel truly bringing them back in a further or larger capacity. You know what I mean? Because Netflix stuff, it's just hit or miss. You know what I mean? So with them now being in the legitimate MCU stuff, and if they get a good enough reaction, then you might get more from them. You know what I mean? They might be waiting on that aspect of it all. Because uh, that's kind of what Marvel does with some of this stuff is they'll throw in a character just to see how people react. And because they'll do it in a small role to see how people react to see if they if it's smart to legitimately bring them in at that point. Um, so, I, I mean, plus it just it ends on such a happy note with him seeing his family and stuff that I think it's just, it would, I just don't know what they would have led to. Cause I think if they did anything like that, I think it would have taken away from it a little bit. And with that musical number, I think one of the funny things about it, it's a very sly, sly thing from Marvel. The reason why Ant-Man is in that is because in Endgame. If I remember correctly, doesn't he go back to the Battle of New York with those people? When they go back to get the stones? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he is there for a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's the whole thing is it's like people saw him during that because they went back in time during it. And that's why they put him in it. I think that was a nod to that. I'm not saying that's what it is. It could be just like you said that... You know, he became a popular character later, so they just shove him into it. That's not unheard of at all. But I think that's kind of a subtle nod to Endgame. And then going back in time with some of that stuff. Because then, technically, he was at the Battle of New York. So there were some people that might have gotten saved by Ant-Man. And they're telling their stories of, yeah, Ant-Man saved me. You know what I mean? And then it gets added to it. Could be retconned in. And I, if that's the case, I think that's a very sly nod for Marvel. Acknowledging that they technically changed parts of the timeline because of, of in game. And that's, that's, that's a smart little, little nod. I think, you know, um, Heather, what about you? Honestly, my biggest issue with that, um, musical number is more just like why in the world would Clinton go and see that <laughs> I'm I'm sitting there like why are you watching this this would be torture to watch it was like, his kids for him 
Yeah, I know, but I would be like, no. Yeah, but I feel like I would be like, let's literally see any other musical. (laughs) Like, I just feel like that would have been just torture for him to just sit through and have to watch that. It would have been kind of funnier if he was was like, kids, why do you want to see this? You've met them all. They were all at our house (laughs) a couple of years ago. (laughs) Why do you want to see this? You've met you. You were just at Uncle Thor's house last week. Why do you want to go? Right. <laughs> and like, and they to be know fair, they did leave happened. early. They yeah, did. They did. They did. But, I, but I, it was but just like. I was just going to say that I liked that little thing, though, that he was obviously miserable. And like I said, dealing with some PTSD with it because of Nat and all this other stuff. And then his kids went outside and they're like, yeah, we can go. You're obviously hating this, but you tried. Like, you know, yeah. and, and I think also at that point they were like, it's, you know, probably the biggest, it's, it's probably the Hamilton of the MCU, the biggest play ever, you know? So you have to go see it if you can, it's one that you have to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, his kids are like, yeah, this is dumb. Like we've met all them. Tony Stark's kind of a dick or was <laughs> like, you know, why would, you know, like stuff like that. It's just, you know, I, I just, I, I did appreciate that, that his kids were like, yeah, we could go like, We've met them all, and you're obviously miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's true. Um, I just thought, it, like, literally, that was just the first thing I thought when I saw that scene. I was like, why is he sitting through this? Like, even if it was for his kids, I'd be like, no, like, literally, let's go see any other musical that you would want to see. But, you know, I, I get it. It was just. Like, that was my very first thought when I saw that. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I would not be able to watch that if I were him. But um, no, I think also like one of the really cool things that I think they did with the story and character development here is with um, like with uh, Kate Bishop and how she clearly just so looks up to Clint and you know, even saying like, oh, he's my favorite hero. My He's my favorite superhero or my favorite Avenger. And I can't believe he's in my house. Like stuff like that, that she would say where she's very clearly just, you know, so like excited to be in his presence. And that's why she's very, a, a, a part of why she's very adamant about like, I want to help you. I want to be your partner. I want to learn from you, you know? And I, I loved the, first of all, I just loved the excitement of like how she got with it. It was just really funny. Like even when, you know, they're in the ice rink and everything and like he takes off his thing and he's wearing the suit and she's like, you're wearing the suit. That's so cool. And then she's like getting the arrows from him and she's like, is it time? And she's like so excited. And it's just really funny. I I like how they did that. Cause she just was like really excited to be a part of it, you know? Um, but I, I like the fact that, although she clearly like built a lot of what she wanted to do and who she wanted to be off of sort of, you know, who Hawkeye was. I like that they didn't really, she didn't necessarily fangirl. And I appreciated that. Like she kind of did in her own way, but not really, you know, she was, she was still very much like being a normal person, trying to be normal and, you know, all of that stuff with him. And it wasn't just a total like fangirl thing. And I appreciated that they did it that way, even though she's clearly like, you know, you're my hero. So I, I, I like how they did that with it. Um, and yeah, I, I just also 
that moment too. And Jason kind of referenced it a little bit with how she's telling him, like, you know, when I was younger and I saw you and I just like, before you came along, I just felt alone. I did. I was scared with the alien invasion and all that stuff. And then she's like, you know, when I saw you just this person with a string and a, and an arrow and you just went out there and you were able to do this. Like it made me feel like I was going to be okay. And that anybody can really be a hero. You don't have to have these superpowers. And I love that. Cause I feel like that really is the heart of what the show is and the heart of, uh, you know, who Hawkeye is. And I just th- thought that was a really good scene that they did and how Clint sort of was like, <laughs> you feel like he was sort of coming back to this is, this is why I'm, I want to do it. You know, um, you know, just kind of his like slight smirk at what she said and just kind of coming to a resolve about like, okay, this is, this is a good thing, you know, and all that. So I just really appreciated that moment that they had in in the show. Um, and yeah, like just their whole, their whole back and forth, like banter and dynamic that they had. Yeah. Like him teaching her and her trying to like make him feel better about the fact that he's not home with his family and really they did make good partners. And, and I just, I liked that a lot. And then of course, like we were saying, like Yelena coming in with this and like her and Kate are, they're probably almost, they're around the same age, you know? So they, they really had that very organic, like (laughs) two, two girls, two young girls around the same age, just like, you know, kind of becoming friends, but not really. And, and I thought that was a really fun thing to put in this, uh, because it felt a little bit true to how, like, (laughs) probably that would play out, you know? And I, I just, I really, mostly I just appreciate how, uh, Jeremy Renner does his, his whole, like, just this burden and this guilt that he continues to feel about what happened with Natasha. Um, and he just still carries that with him so much. And, you know, just anytime he even talks about her or anything like that, just how broken he is. And a lot of it was of course, cause you know, he was close to her and he loved her and all these things, but just how he's like, why do, why do I deserve to still be here? She doesn't kind of mentality with it and not even really upset at Yelena for wanting to kill him. (laughs) Like he's like, I didn't deserve what she did. And I completely understand why you want to kill me. You know, I, I just, I think that was a really cool way to approach the situation. Just knowing how he already has this guilt about it, that anything that she, that Yelena would want to, do about the situation he's like yeah fair enough you know and how they were able to both come to this different side of things sort of um whenever you know the finale sort of happened i mean i guess his his mentality about it didn't change but he was able to connect with with her and you know at least also sort of honor who she was and realize as he's telling her what's happening like there was not going to be a way for me to stop her from doing this because this is who she is. This is, she wouldn't have changed it. She wouldn't have wanted it any other way. That's just who she is. And I need to stop beating myself up about it because that was her choice. It wasn't that I let her down and I let her die. It was her choice. You know, she wasn't going to let anybody else do it. 
And I really enjoyed just him trying to come to terms with that reality uh, because it was so hard for him with that. Um, Cause it's a very relatable and heartbreaking thing. I mean, basically your best friend deciding, no, I'm going to die instead of you. And that's just what it is. And you got to deal with it <laughs> in, a, in a way, but yeah, I just, I, I just really, I think that that was a nice way to sort of honor black widow and also their tension of, you know, their hostility or Yelena's hostility towards uh, Clint. And it, it just was really, it was wrapped up nicely in that sense, I think. Um, also, Jack, I think Jack was great. <laughs> I think it was a really good mislead and misdirection of, because I was kind of like, yeah, this guy is weird and guilty. He's got to be. But he totally, you know, he wasn't the bad guy. <laughs> and I like how they did that because even when you still might think he is the bad guy, there's something about him that you're just like, you're just like a, you're just kind of a goofy guy. You know what I mean? Like there's just, there's something a little bit still endearing about him. And, and so I'm actually really glad that he ended up not really, you know, being the bad guy. Um, and I got to say, I do think that, um, her mom was, there was something a little bit off about her, I think, throughout the whole thing. Um, and, and I'm a huge fan of Vera Farmiga. I think she's a fantastic actress. But, you know, there was just something about this character where she felt very removed from emotionally from really what was going on. Even with her daughter, you know, she she would say how she felt, but it just there was something very emotionally removed from her actions. Um, and so I thought it was an interesting choice to do the character that way. And I don't know if maybe her mom is the character in the, in the comics or anything like that, but I, you know, it's the first time that I did not like a character that Vera Farmiga played <laughs> in a sense, or not, and it's not even how she played it. It's just the character was, she was very cold in a sense. I felt like she was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to deal with these things. I'm going to handle it. It's fine, but just really very much trying to sweep things under the rug, like type of mentality, just very cold and removed from the actions she was taking because she was justifying it as, you know, I, I was left alone when your dad died and I had to make these choices for you kind of. And, but just even still with that being her motivation for it, there was just very something, yeah, just cold and removed about her actions with it. and. I thought it was an interesting choice, but, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I was not really a huge fan of the mom from the get go and I was not sure why something was really off about it, but now it makes sense why. So, um, and that being said, Kingpin, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio, as I said, I think he's probably the best person you can think of to play a villain for anything. I mean, anything else I've seen him in where he's the bad guy, I'm like, yeah, you are an absolute believable bad guy. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I think that bringing him in was a cool aspect to it. And he is, yeah, he, he's gonna, he was really great. Even in the, what was he, he literally one episode and just how impactful just that one episode of him and his scenes and what he did within just the one episode was just really powerful and shows you just who he is as a character and as a villain. And I thought that was really cool. 
because I'm actually coming in from this side of it. I have not seen Daredevil. I have not seen the Daredevil show, which I know, shame on me. I've heard amazing things about it. I just haven't seen it yet. So I haven't seen any of those scenes of him or him as this villain in the Daredevil series. So this is kind of my first introduction of him as Kingpin. And you're right. He's terrifying. He's insane. He's like, you know, volatile. You don't really know what he's going to do or say or whatever. And he was fantastic and really took up that space as like this really like you should fear me type of villain. And he did a great job with that, which should be expected. Again, it's Vincent D'Onofrio. He's great. So yeah, I just, they, they really, the characters and how they are done in this show is so good. And I think, um, you know, also like just the, I, I, you know, actually Yelena coming in halfway through was, was good, but also anytime she's there, you're like, I just want more of her. <laughs> like I really do just want more scenes with her. I want just to see her in like all these things. So she was just so like, she really was kind of a standout because she's just, man, Florence Pugh just is so good. Um, she's really good. So I, I don't know. I feel like, um, I agree that it didn't quite move along in super impactful ways, the MCU, but I do feel like it did move along some stories. And maybe I do say that because of Kingpin coming in and also how we saw uh, daredevil in Spider-Man no way home. Um, I guess maybe for me, I feel like, okay, this is setting up where they're going to be in other things. So for me, I felt like it moved it in that sense. And also obviously kind of setting up echo, right? Because they're going to have a show about that. And so I feel, I think it does set up a couple of things, but yeah, it doesn't, it's not like a, we're being introduced to the multiverse. We're being introduced to this and this, or this um, thing that happened or whatever. So I agree, but I do think that it still did a serviceable job of showing some things that are probably going to be things in the future that are going to like, it's still showing things that are going to happen in future stuff in the Marvel universe, I think. So, um, so yeah, that didn't really bother me in that aspect of, you know, the big moment kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I just really, I, I do like how Clint just took Kate under his wing and how, yeah, he did feel like it was sort of like this fatherly type of thing. Um, at first I was kind of like, is he trying to be like, is he kind of thinking of her more as like his close friend, like Natasha, or is he more thinking of her as like, she's like one of my kids. You know, I was kind of trying to figure out what sort of relationship situation it was kind of turning into. And it did more land on that. You know, he, he sees her as like one of his kids, you know what I mean? So, um, I, I do think that he was great at being like that protective, like, I don't want you to be my partner because I don't want you to get hurt because you're just a kid. But at the same time, he's like, okay, you want to be a part of this and you're really good. So fine. <laughs> you know, just sort of how he resigned to a lot of things that she was doing and how she was. He was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You're coming with me. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'll wear the suit. Like I just, it was funny to me how he was just like, you know, very reluctant and hesitant with anything that she wanted to do or, 
how she suggested things and he was just like no and then he he would just reluctantly still do them i just thought that was kind of funny so um yeah honestly just there's not much else to really say that you guys haven't really already mentioned i mean it's just really honestly character development is the central part of what makes this show so good and why i like it so much because for me i just i think that that's such a huge thing like that's that's one of the most important things to me about like a television show and a series is how are we developing these characters um so they did a really great job of that and made me care about these characters and what's going to happen with them that i haven't even seen before such as kingpin like what is he going to do in the rest of this universe because i just i agree i don't think he's done i don't think he died i just feel like he has more you know diabolical plans that are going to happen soon. And I'm excited to see sort of what goes down with that. So yeah, honestly, just everything about this, like this is probably for me again, sort of similar to Spider-Man no way home is this is a very rewatchable one for me. Um, Like I already watched it twice through since it came out. Like it's very rewatchable for me. Um, Not all of the series. I don't think I would be that way about, but this is definitely up there as like, yeah, I'd rewatch this. This is fun, you know? Um, and then the, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is that the scene where, um, you know, they're doing the, it's basically like the car chase scene and um, on the bridge. And it's kind of the first time that Kate is, you know, shooting the magical arrows and everything. And I just thought that was a really well done scene. It was really great. It was the first sort of like big action scene I feel like that they had in the show and it was a great way to introduce like just that you know how they work together as a team and the situations like that so yeah it was it was just really well done I think it was well paced and there's just very few things about this that I have a problem with I do think that the the musical number at the end was random I didn't not like it though (laughs) it was just kind of like oh that's a choice, but okay, I can get on board with it. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't move anything forward as far as plot line. But it was it was just random, but it was still kind of fun. So yeah. Ooh, uh, a couple of things that I wanted to touch that you guys brought up, um, both of you brought up. Um, so the character Jack, um, he is in the Marvel comics. He's the character known as the Swordsman who actually taught Hawkeye a lot of his stuff. Um, if anybody knows the, the backstory of Hawkeye, uh, at least in the comics, because, you know, comics are silly. Uh, Hawkeye gets a start as a circus performer. He's like hmm. a tr- trick shot circus performer. And Jack is there as he's the swordsman. He's like, does circus sword shit, you know? Um. And also, if anybody doesn't realize, Hawkeye is actually introduced as a villain in the comics very, very originally. And so Jack kind of is, too, at times. Like, he is kind of a villain sometimes, but then also he's a good guy sometimes. But, like, back then, they were villains because, like, they would be circus performers and then go rob people. You know, that's the type of shit they would do. Uh, Because it was like, you know, the 60s and 70s, and that's what villains did. so with it, the, and I thought that was very fitting for his character in this. Cause like I said, sometimes he's a villain. 
And sometimes he's not, you know, because he's not really a bad guy. It's just like, hey, I want to make some money type of guy. Um, And so that was a very interesting thing that they did with him with stuff. I also did enjoy the fact that, like, at the end, they just kind of let him go and do some cool short sword shit. And I thought that was a very interesting way of handling that. And it was just a very smart way of doing that character, especially for people like me that knew who he was in the comics. So that was kind of a fun little element with that. Uh, With some of the stuff like Echo, uh, Echo is the Kingpin's like adoptive daughter in the comics also. So that was really cool that they kept that aspect of it. And, you know, and she, they, they've kept a lot of that stuff true to the character. Cause she also, once again, like everybody else, she starts as a villain. She's one of Kingpin's people, you know, and she does turn and she does become a good guy and stuff like that. So like, that's interesting that they're handling that. They, they handled it that way too. In this, I think in a very smart way, uh, a lot of the stuff in this tends to actually follow the comics in a lot of ways. And I thought that that was really kind of cool because they did it in a very sleek way that people didn't like, they didn't beat you over the head with it. So it was one of those things where if it, you are a comic book fan and you know, these characters, it fit and you understood it. And if you're not, it's okay. They still did the characters strong enough to where, it doesn't take away that you don't know their comic books, you know, backstories and stuff like that. So I really appreciated a lot of those aspects with stuff. I, I don't really know the character of Kate Bishop all too terribly well in the comics. So I don't know if her mom is a bad guy in that too, but I, it would not surprise me if that's how they did her story in the comics too. Uh, Just because that is something kind of, like a common theme with sometimes young heroes in comics that they're like adults were, or their parents were bad people or whatever. Um, Also another fun, like or little quirky thing in this too. uh, Echo is also was Ronan for a little while too, in the comics. So I really like that also that in this Ronan Mm. killed her dad. So, Mm. you know, but I also like the fact that they, they, did do some of that stuff. I really liked the reveal at the end with Hawkeye's wife being a former shield agent. And that's actually how they knew each other and why she was very understanding of his lifestyle and the lingo and stuff like that. Also little comic book thing. It kind of reveals she's the character from the comic books known as mockingbird. Uh, which is really kind of cool. Mockingbird also weirdly enough is sometimes a hero and sometimes a villain. Cause you know, comic books, they do that shit all the time. Uh, but yeah, they, they have her being that, uh, I did like what you, you brought up Heather, when you were talking about, uh, what was their relationship? And I kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think in the end, she kind of became both. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a replacement for Nat. It's just I liked how he saw some of Nat's traits in her. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because I really and I really liked that that's what kind of made the change for him. Because with her and everything and with Nat is when he's having that conversation slash fight with Yelena and he brings up that he was like 
Nat was going to do what she wanted. Like, that's what she was going to do. I tried to stop her and I couldn't because Nat, Mm -hmm. she made up her mind and she was going to do it. And that's exactly the same reason why he does call Kate his partner, because he Mm -hmm. realizes I can tell her no all I want. I can try to stop her all I want, but she's going to do it anyway. So let me help her not get herself killed doing it. You know, to the best of my ability. And, but then also like realize that she's going to do it. So he might as well be there with her. You know, I liked that aspect of the story with it. I liked that he saw those parallels I really liked that that fight with Yelena because I liked the fact that well it was cathartic for both of them. You know, when he was like, I tried to yeah. stop her, you know, I fought her to stop her. And he, she was like, you should have fought harder. And he's like, I kind of if I was him, I would have just said, she kicked my ass. I don't know what you want. Like, right. you, <laughs> you obviously you're kicking my ass. You guys can kick my ass. What did you expect me to do? Right. You know, but and, he, I l- and you know what? Now that it, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead and say what you were going to say. I think it also just makes me now think, I wonder if Yelena and Kate's dynamic also maybe came from a little bit of Yelena thinking that Kate reminded her of her sister, you know? That could be, I actually look at it. Weirdly enough, they have the same they they have the starting of the same relationship that Black Widow and Hawkeye did. Is what it is to me. Like they were technically at odds and then realized that, you know, one of them was more or less not wrong, but on the wrong side. I mean, in Black Widow's case, she was no longer wanting to be an assassin. Um, but to me, that's what it is. It's, it's very much the same dynamic that like it it reminded me a lot of the dynamic we've seen with black widow and Hawkeye throughout these, these, uh, MCU movies. Yeah, that's true. You know, even when they were fighting each other to get to Hawkeye, it very much reminded me of the fight when Hawkeye and black widow fought each other in civil war. They weren't trying to hurt each other, but they were trying to stop each other, you know? And so I appreciated that aspect of it because that's very much what they were doing in that, you know, they weren't trying to, they, you know, Yelena wasn't trying to really hurt her or kill her. Same with Kate, but you know, they were just trying to stop each other. So I, I saw a lot of parallels with some of that stuff and I really kind of appreciated a lot of that. Because, you know, say it's like four or five movies down the line and say, you know, Clint Barton is no longer in it. Like, let's just say he did retire and he's off on his little fucking ranch and all this other stuff. And, you know, Kate Bishop is now our Hawkeye. And now Yelena is our exo facto now Black Widow in the the MCU. Mm -hmm. Them having that dynamic and doing movies like that would be great. Like, and it kind of alluded to what Justin was talking about earlier. I kind of want there to be a Hawkeye Black Widow TV series that's Kate and Elena. Yep, I would totally watch that. Yeah. Like, that'd be so fun. And 
I mean, and I think it, it ended up being a lot like Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, Marvel's very good at when they make pairings. They're very oh, yeah. good at who they choose. Because, yeah, for sure. I mean, Bucky and Sam, that's a delightful combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even when it was like you go back and look at uh, uh, Winter Soldier when it was Nat and, 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 uh, and Steve. They were fucking great together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, even though we only mainly saw it in some movies here and there and that you didn't get a dedicated movie to it. I mean, Hawkeye and Black Widow had a great relationship in the scenes. You Mm -hmm. got to see them doing that stuff in, you know, like those were really like Iron Man and Spider-Man, you know, that one was great too. They're very good at making dynamic pairings. And I think that that showed it again in this one. Because fucking Kate and Elena were great together. I kind of want there to just be a random one-off episode where it's just 30 minutes of them like sitting at a diner just talking. (laughs) I think that'd be fun. Because it's like Elena sitting there just shoving fucking pancakes in her face. And Kate's just sitting there like, what the fuck? I think that'd be (laughs) delightful. I'd watch the fire. Yeah, or even just like a road she, trip episode. Like takes her around the city and shows her some of those monuments she wanted to go see or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. That would have been like pretty a road, funny. A road trip. That would have like been a cool scene thing. at the end. You like, know, that would have been a cool scene at the end. But like, but like yeah, any of that would have been cool. Wouldn't it be just fun if they did a series that was just like six episodes of Kate and Elena driving around the country just fucking up people and stopping crimes yeah <laughs> just visiting different it. series and fucking people up and it's just like every every episode begins with just five or ten minutes of them in the car approaching the city talking and then ten, five and ten minutes of them leaving the city talking <laughs> yeah you know I just think that would be fun they did they had just such a great chemistry with each other and i just i truly hope we get to see something more with that you know just in any sort of capacity in the movies tv shows something i just this cannot be the last time we see that pairing because it was just so fun to watch like and i i truly hope this is not the last time we get to see clint barton as hawkeye especially if they're going to pair him with kate again you know i want to see them together again so mm-hmm. I hope they do something with that. Like when she's a little bit more like trained and a little bit more, you know, in her element with him would be cool to see. Yeah. I mean, I just this this show, I think honestly to me is one of the more fascinating shows that we've done from we've gotten from Marvel just for the sheer fact that I like the possibilities more after this than I have necessarily some of the else or other things like the other things have so much big implications with things. I like the small implications from this. Like, like I said, I I'm kind of more excited about made up content. We could get from this in my head Mm. than I am. Some of the things we're going, we knowingly are going to get in the MCU from the other shows. Fiction. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. What I've made up in my head is possibilities from the show. 
just excites me so much more than some of this other stuff. Like, I mean, we, we had the, you know, the, 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 the multiverse become a thing in Loki. And then like right after that, it's just multiverse, 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 multiverse. There's just so much multiverseness going on directly after that. And you know, it's, it's things like that. It's just, it's so quick and so fast. that It's just, it's that, that is a major plot line now you know, just mere moments after we saw it in Loki. Whereas with this, I'm just like, oh man, we could get like another, another Kate and Clint series, or we could get a Yelena and Kate movie, or we can get this now. Like, I just really like, I'm really fascinated by those things because those to me, like scratch the itches that I want out of the MCU more. And like I said, and I, and I understand that that's a very tailored thing because those types of things, like I said, I'm, I'm more interested in those. I'm more interested in these smaller implication things that just kind of matter to the people on screen more than just the universe. Cause I think that maybe that's what I'm tired of in the MCU right now, that every movie, the world will end every movie, the world will end if they don't do this. Every single time. And I'm just like, (laughs) so much world on the line-ness. Like, it just feels like, I mean, how the fuck does any regular person exist in this universe without being in a constant state of anxiety and PTSD? Right. Just constantly. Like, in any moment, like, how do you not live in fear that at any moment you can just get snapped the fuck away again? Also, who on the Avengers is running around telling everybody all the aspects of their stories? Like, I get that everybody in the world knows that people blipped away, but how did people actually learn the name Thanos? I'm very curious about that. Like, that Mm -hmm. would mean somebody on the Avengers had to, like, do a news conference. Tell people it was Thanos. Because otherwise, how did they know? Because, I mean, yeah, there was a battle in Wakanda and stuff like that. But, like, how did regular people learn that man's name? I'm just very curious about that. And that does tie into this because in the first episode, you see the thing on the urinal where somebody, you know, wrote Thanos is right or was right. You know, but I'm just very curious as to how people know these things. Like, well, uh, in Endgame, um, when Captain America is sitting there with the self-help group and they're talking about like coping with everybody being snapped away and stuff like that. So you got to think that when, when when everybody got snapped away, there was a five year period where all those people were gone and you still had Avengers alive and on earth and people talking about this and stories about this and stuff like that. So like, and that's really the fun thing about the MCU is like, if you pay attention, they always do these little tidbits like that. that sort of link all of this together. Like 
in Spider-Man No Way Home, when they're on the airplane and and Peter is looking at material to look at on the airplane. And what were the options? There was like an autobiography on Iron Man. There was something about finding Wakanda. There was this documentary about. So even though that's just a little thing, you only get a glance of that. When you really think about it, what does that mean? That there are people writing stories about this. You know, that there are people that are that that that, claim, that probably claim to be experts and historians and stuff like that and are doing stories on this. Uh you know, whenever uh, everybody got blipped back and they found out that, you know, Tony Stark and uh Captain America and all that stuff, you know, that's why you see all of this Tony Stark stuff everywhere and he's sort of like now in the universe, it, you know, when we were in when we're in a uh, far from home it's almost like he has been immortalized as this like great hero that sacrificed himself to beat Thanos and everything like that. So now it's just public knowledge. A lot of that stuff, you know, like it's either that five year period that everybody was gone. And then when everybody came back and everything like that, um, and, and that's really like, what is great about the MCU? Like whether you are somebody who cares about the street level stuff or you care about the stuff happening in outer space, that's the beauty of this whole thing is that there's kind of something for everybody. And granted, Marvel Studios cares about all of it, which is what makes it so great. That's why, like in a Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man can be trying to fix something so his friends can go to college, but the ramifications of that can have something to do with the multiverse. Or we can go to um, something like um, Hawkeye where they're not dealing with the multiverse at all. It's just kind of this own contained narrative in itself. But to be fair, the reason why this is happening is because of what Thanos did. If it wasn't for Infinity War and everybody being snapped away, Hawkeye wouldn't have been Ronin, wouldn't have done all this stuff. So even though, yes, this is street level, the beauty of the MCU is that, yes, even this story is tied to Endgame. You know what I mean? So even on a street level aspect, something that happened in the cosmos, something that happened with the Infinity Gauntlet still had something to do with this street level story. And it all like connects in almost such an organic way that sometimes we just forget that all this is connected until you really, really start to think about it and put together all the dots. I mean, hell, like even in just the things that we just watched, like like in that dinner scene, Yelena's talking and they drop these little tidbits all the time. And it's fun to go back and discover these things. Yelena's when she's talking to Kate Bishop, she's like, you know, I want to see all the new monuments. I want to see the new and improved Statue of Liberty. And I remember hearing that line going, what is she talking about? The new improved in Statue of Liberty. Then we're watching Spider-Man No Way Home. And then you see that the Statue of Liberty has the Captain America shield. That was totally two different things. Like 
a character yep. says this at Disney Plus, and then you're you're in the theater watching No Way Home, and you see what that character in this whole other series was talking about. That is the beauty of the MCU. It is the only thing in cinema right now, in like movies and media right now, where you can do that. Like it, yeah. it, it is almost like a living, breathing comic book in that way. You can pick up this issue and then it's a, and it references something that happened six issues later in this other comic book. We literally have that now with the MCU and it's a beautiful thing, you know? But Justin, that does not answer my question as to who on the Avengers is giving press conferences, telling people Thanos. I like to think that what it was is, you know how in the battle at Endgame there's a lot of random other people too. I like to think that it was just one of the random guys that like came with Wong that uses magic. That's just named Steve. And he's just talking to everybody that will <laughs> listen to him. She's going, man, I was there at the <laughs> right. battle of Thanos, man. And they're, they're everybody's like, who's Thanos? And he's like, man, that's the big purple fuck that snapped everybody away. And they're like, Oh shit, that's his name. And he's just sitting there and he's like the crazy haired guy on the history channel that talks about aliens existing. But no, this is Steve, the magic <laughs> user telling it all the superhero battle secrets. I mean, I like that because it's just like some of the things like I get why they did some of it, but it makes it a little weird. Like in the song, when Tony Stark, the, the musical song in this, when Tony Stark's character goes and afterwards we'll go get shawarma. Who went and told people they went and got yeah, shawarma? Who told them that? <laughs> That's true. I just want to know who the leak is. Who was leaking all Someone the Someone that secret- was at that restaurant. <laughs> but I'm just, I just, I mean, it may be, but I just think it's curious that like the public knows all these Avengers secrets. Like, I'm just curious. That's as true. To how it's all happening. I just think it's funny that everyone knows everything at all times. Like, I do think it's like, and this goes back even to WandaVision when they're talking about the battle in Endgame and they were like, Wanda almost took out Thanos if it, if he hadn't have like blown up half his army to stop her. And I'm like, wait, how the fuck do they know that specifically? Like, it's just like, did they do a debrief with all the people that survived the battle of Thanos? Right. That's all. I'm just, I was, and I don't necessarily mean that in a completely serious way. I just think it's a funny thing that they're doing all that. And just, that's true, though. People I didn't always think about know. that. I don't know. I just feel like there are just so many answers that could probably fit that question because, you know, you still had some shield agents and stuff that were alive. You know, Nick Fury had come back. He could have been told some of that stuff. He would have had to have been debriefed on the situation uh, up until then. And like I said, like there were people who survived um, after the blip, when the blip first happened and they had to have been on earth. Like if Captain America, like, and that's, I guess what I was alluding to. I thought I answered the question. Like when Captain America is, if he's sitting there with a self-help group, talking to them about how are we going to deal with Thanos and cope with that and stuff like that. 
if he's got this group established and everything like that, then it just stands to reason that he's already sort of assimilated himself to the public. He could have done some interviews. He probably was interviewed just being what he was to the the universe and everything. You know, I'm pretty sure that some of, you know, he got debriefed on some of that stuff. Falcon was still working uh, for the government and everything like that. He would have had to have been the the government would have had to have been privy to some of that stuff. Rhodey is still a government agent and everything like that. So I, I just feel like if you just think about it naturally, like what would happen if that were to happen in the real world? Like, of course, there would be people writing books, doing all these things. There'd be all these interviews with these guys. I mean, these guys would be some of the most popular people in the world, you know, and people would be trying to get any kind of literature they could and trying to make money off of what they did, you know. Um, no, I, I get I just that. Think, I get that. But I'm saying like, hey, they know very specific details very specific details. And then when you're looking at something like the battle and end game, I think it's hard to have specific details like that because it was a fucking bedlam, but I'm more or less talking about the fact that I do think it's funny that they're implying that, like you said, Steve Rogers after the battle or after fucking infinity war, sat down with a guy writing a book and just told him all about Thanos. I think that that's a very funny yet ridiculous idea. Like, it's just funny that it's like, Hey Steve, tell me about what happened. He's like, well, to start, there was a guy named Thanos. And like, I think that that's funny that just, it's the ridiculous aspect of it that that would be. And I do agree that that is something that realistically could happen. It's still just a funny thought that like Steve Rogers is sitting down with Barbara Walters to tell her about Thanos. I agree. That would be a, it's just fun to think about it. It's funny. I get it. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And even if it didn't happen in that way, there are a million other ways that it could have happened. You know what I mean? Just given who lived, what happened and in an attempt and you got to think about it, like half of the world disappeared for a period of five years. That might change a lot of the ways that people approach things. You know, that might change a lot of things as far as just who, you know, you know, you may not feel at that point that you need to be so secretive or that the public doesn't need to know everything or this and that or whatever. Once half the universe is gone, there are probably bigger worries other than, you know, withholding all of this information from the public and not telling them anything probably would have just been easier at that time to relinquish some of that knowledge to the public. Cause otherwise, how are you going to explain all these people disappearing? You know what I'm saying? And then how could you have, how could the society have moved on from that? Not knowing anything about it. You know what I mean? No, I just, I I do agree. You just have to think bigger. You know what I mean? No, I do agree that people would need to know like some aspects of it because you can't just be like, man, half the world disappeared. Let's not say anything. I don't and just know. hope Truck nobody notices. Shows. What happened, Cap? <laughs> what happened, Cap? I don't know. 
You know, you couldn't do that. But I just think it's funny <laughs> that they felt the name to say his name. You know what I mean? Like, because people already know aliens exist because of the whole Chitari invasion and stuff like that. It's just kind of funny that they were like, yep, there was a space warlord named Thanos and he came and snapped away the universe with infinity stones. It's like, it's just weird to think that they would divulge all of that to the public and the public just would then at that point. I mean, I understand that this is also a world of superheroes and all this other stuff, but just the in general public is going, yep, infinity stones, those bastards. Like, I mean, and I get what you're saying that they, you know, at that point, you wouldn't necessarily feel the need to be so secretive and stuff like that, but it's just, it's still weird that they divulge just this gigantic aspect of things like just the infinity gauntlet and space power stones and space warlords and stuff. Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh yeah. And by the way, we even know his name. Like, I just think it's funny that they, they, and I do agree. They would have like done something, but like, I just think it's funny if like, if it wasn't him, if it was like, some other random fucking hero, like I can't even think of who was around and who wasn't at this moment in time, but it's just funny that if it was just some random B list guy, he's like, yep, I happen to know all of it. That's why I think the guy that told everybody about the in game battle was Steve, the magic user. And that's what it says <laughs> on his lower third, Steve comma, the magic user. Or it could have just been Steve, the, the the janitor that works in one of the shield shell buildings. And, you you know, like there there would have been so many leaks. I mean, just think about the media today. There are leaks about information and stuff all the time. I mean, if there are leaks of information about what a celebrity is doing in their house with another celebrity, I mean, if that can be leaked <laughs> to the public, you know, if, 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 if the paparazzi could get to that, you know, if, if, uh, you know, there are leaks about government stuff all the time and documents and this, that, and the other and stuff like that. So it's also not beyond the realm of possibility that you just have people, probably humans in with office jobs or people who are kind of tied to these because these are government systems and buildings and stuff like that. You know, you, you got regular people working at these things. It's also not beyond the realm of possibility that there is somebody named Steve who just was leaking, just heard some information and leaked it or got information about this and decided to tell everybody or got depressed because his whole family is gone and he works for this company or whatever. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm going to, I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to tell some people about my experiences when I was working for shield, when it existed, you know, I imagine there was a lot of that going on too, you know, not to just yeah, mention people's theories nobody, and stuff like that. Nobody working for shield would do that though. Cause they'd be afraid Nick Fury would kill them. Yeah. But just, he was blipped away. They, so, they, it just, so it's just a matter of time. So like what was happening during that hey, time? And then at that time, you know, did anybody hey, have any fear? I mean, man, it's Nick Fury. It don't matter if he's blipped or not. That man knows all. <laughs> you, don't, how do, you don't take that chance. Blipped away don't mean shit to Nick Fury. 
I'm just saying you're yeah. you're really risking a lot if you're willing to just divulge shit thinking Nick Fury because come on t- tell me that's not the most Nick Fury thing to do to be fake blipped away. I mean we know he got blipped away because we saw it, but I'm just saying random Shield janitor he'd be like man like his buddy would be like man did you hear Fury got blipped away and he go man motherfucker you really think he got blipped or is he just doing some more Nick Fury shit he fake blipped. Come on, that'd be like the biggest conspiracy theory in Shield. Is is Fury blipped or not? They don't even know because he could have been blipped away, but then the fucking scroll could have been still posing as 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 Nick Fury that whole time. That's a very big possibility. Yeah, yeah. or who we saw blipped was the scroll and not him. Exactly. I mean, th- that would be that that would be interesting. Like you're taking uh, so many risks. Like to see something about that and see, and that's just what's so fun about this is there's even a story that exists where you're just following this normal ass person who worked alongside some of these people. And when everybody got blipped, what happened to that person? Like there's even that story out there or, or Nick Fury fake blip it. I hope that if we get to a series where he's more involved or something like that, I hope there is some sort of cool kind of reveal about that. Secret we got to at least find out. Yeah, we got to at least find out how he met the scrolls and what happened with that. So well, hopefully we know how he met the like that. We know how he met him. That's Captain oh, Marvel. Yeah, like, um, yeah, Captain Marvel. But I'm talking about afterwards when all that happened and he started going to space and stuff like that. Like, what was that meeting like? What was decided? Why is he in space and the scrolls and the scrolls down here, which I'm assuming happened like right after, after he got blipped back, I'm assuming, but we, you know, we don't know. So yeah, no, it very much could be that that happened before, you know, but I guess I, well, I think we'll find those answers out in Secret Invasion. I think they're going to have it be where we think there is a monumentally important scene that you're like, oh, that was Nick Fury, and it wasn't. I think we're going to find that out, that type of stuff out in Secret Invasion. I I personally have my theory of when Nick Fury swapped, but I mean, I, there's nothing to confirm it. I think he got swapped. Uh, Towards the end of uh, Winter Soldier, you know, when he's all on his deathbed, but not dead. And then mere hours later, he was helping them break into the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters just fine with a lacerated spine. I don't I think that the one that went to the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters was a scroll guy. Well, Nick Fury was still uh, in the hospital mending. Huh. You could be right. That's that, my that's, personal theory it, of when the swap happened. That's definitely an interesting theory. And see, I was thinking more or less after the blimp, the, the blip back, like right after Endgame, like probably sometime after the funeral for Tony, because Captain Marvel would have been there, um, you know, that's when a conversation could have been had about whatever is going on with her. And I'm pretty sure that conversation led to Nick Fury 
going to space and then the scrolls coming back. I feel like somehow Captain Marvel would have been involved in that. And the only time she had come back was during Endgame. So that was my theory. But uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see for sure. I think I think Nick Fury. I personally think Nick Fury was not blipped away. I think I think he was in outer space. I think that was like Tolov or whatever that scroll's name was. I think he was the one. Blipped. I hope that you're right. I hope that you're right. Cause that would be tight. I hope it's something cool like that. But anyway, I wasn't trying to go all the way off topic. My, my bigger point was that it's just really cool how all this shit is connected. So you can talk about it in this way and all of these theories and things are valid. And this is the only thing in media that you can really talk about this with. Like everything else just sort of pales in comparison to this, like just how vast this is. This is like a damn ocean or something with just how vast it's getting, you know, which is very cool. Yeah. But it's also why comics are a chore sometimes. <laughs> Every time like a new big event happens and you have to read all the other shit and you have to catch up and blah, blah. Like I, I kind of do wish at some point, they do go back to some more isolated stories because like I said, one of the reasons why I'm burnt out is it really does feel like the world is ending in every fucking movie we watch now from them. It's just a world defining fucking moment, every movie. And to me, that makes no sense because like, if you look at comics as they are, when they do story arcs, it's six issues, you know, I mean, I'm, I know that's not the hard and fast rule. I'm just saying, Typical comic book story arcs are six issues, unless you're doing like a big multi-comic book crossover event type of thing. And then you get to like 12 issues, sometimes 10, 12 issues, whatever. But like a normal story arc, six, because that's a trade. Uh, and it's just like, like I was saying when we did the Spider-Man, it's like. If a fucking, you know, personal friend or somebody close to Spider-Man died every six issues or Every fucking, you know, six issues of the Avengers, the world is ending every single time. You know, that's what is start. I think that that's what I got burnt out with the MCU is it's just so big now constantly that you don't get any like small, normal stories anymore. And I and like I said, that's why I think I am gravitating more towards the TV shows and have been enjoying them more because. Well, they might have big implications. The stories themselves are very small. And kind of, it just, it keeps everything together a little bit better to me. But, and I do get what you're saying though, Justin. It is, it is cool that people that aren't burned out still get their big monumental movies all the time. And people like me get a little bit of a break from that while still continuing to be in the same universe that we've, known for 29 movies or whatever the fuck it is now. Yeah. And it's almost like com comparable to comic books, like, you know, whatever floats your boat. And that's the thing about Marvel and why Marvel studios and why Kevin Feige is a genius. He knows that there are certain people who just like more of the ground level street level superheroes and stuff like that. Um, 
he knows that there's an audience for that, but he also knows there's an audience for the big MCU, the the bigger Avenger, Guardians, Thor kind of implications of that too. Uh, but I think what's amazing about it is that he has gotten you to care about all of it, you know, regardless of whether you lean towards something like Hawkeye or you lean towards something like Loki. I feel like pretty much most of it is quality entertainment, regardless of where you fall on it. Or if you're somebody like me, who's just along for the ride and just happy to be living at a time where all this comic book stuff you used to read is now relevant and just thankful for it. You know, whatever side of that you fall on, the cool thing is, is that there's just something for everybody to kind of sink their teeth into. If you want something kind of fresh, uh, the, the, the what if series, and I'll just say, uh, give a kudos to that. Cause um, we're, we're not really going to talk about that, but it is a Marvel Netflix, uh, not Netflix, Marvel Disney plus series and everything. And I just finished that. That's very good too. Like, there are some very good episodes of that. There's a Doctor Strange episode, a Killmonger episode, and some Ultron stuff that they do that's awesome in those, like just scenario uh, types of things. So even that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Like they understand that that, that they have audi- that that they have an audience on all these different sides of the spectrum. And the cool thing is, is that they understand how important it is to give the audience a little bit of everything. That's the cool thing about these shows. None of these shows felt the same at all. None of them. You know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier wasn't really world ending stuff. It was government stuff. It was government and kind of like it wasn't ground level. But it was more government level, like there was agents and there was stuff going on and there was it was political. That was a very political story. But then you got all this magic over here with WandaVision and stuff. And then you got all this space stuff over here with uh, and other planetary stuff with Loki. And then we can have something like Hawkeye that's just Christmas in New York. And that's the beauty of Marvel. There's something for everybody, you know. If you say so, Justin, if you say so, um, yeah, we should move on though. We, I think we have this conversation about Marvel every time we talk about Marvel. Um, with that though, is there any more thoughts about Hawkeye before we, we close this one out? Any more Hawkeye thoughts? No, I think I'm good. Nope. Alrighty, next time we talk about Marvel stuff, we do need to avoid this last part again. Because I think we literally just did this conversation again yesterday <laughs> when we did Spider-Man. Oh, Marvel. The things you do to us. Anyway, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where Cinema Slayers Podcast, Twitter and Instagram, where Cinema underscore Slayers or TikTok, where we're Cinema Slayers Pod. Uh, shout out to Plug Me, Go Mundo Choa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. It'd really help us out. 
uh, tell your family, tell your uh, friends, tell your family's friends, tell your friends' families, and especially tell those dear sweet mothers, because you know what mothers don't like? Being arrested on Christmas. I did not know that until Hawkeye. So <laughs> it was useful information about mothers, because you know I'm all about those mothers. And as I was in the TikToks and as I was in this podcast, and it would be everything until the day I die, because Moon Knight's coming out at some point in 2022. So get hyped for that. So just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. I don't know what to say. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Uh, Cinema Slayers. There must have been some magic in that old top hat they found. For when they placed it on his head, he began to jump around. Frosty the snowman was a jolly man, they say. And apparently Justin forgot the rules from the beginning of the episode. You lost another point. But his two eyes made out of coal. And it's a Christmas song. You lose a point. (laughs) But... You but did still do eyes. that note on snow almost to the snowman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Little, it's like, the note for snow. snow note. <laughs> it's the Christmas note, but and you, on, that Christmas note. Eyes, you got to have that Christmas note. He had eyes of coal. Come on, Sterling. Okay. That's still, that <laughs> makes it very Christmassy and point losing worthy. Oh boy. I mean, I couldn't have been any more clear. The coal. Yes, Justin, the coal. <laughs> what about the coal, Justin? Yeah, two eyes. They were made out of it. All right, what I want you to do, Justin, is I want you to go to Walmart and I want you to buy a bag of charcoal. I want you to take two bricks of charcoal and shove them into your eyeballs and see how well you see. And then report back to me about how effective they are as eyeballs. That sounds like it would hurt. It probably would. <laughs> All right. How about this? You don't have to shove them into your eye sockets. Just press them onto your eyes. Like hold them against your eye sockets and just see how well you see through the coal. Can I do this while wearing a top hat like Frosty? <laughs> yes, Justin, because I don't know if you know this, but top hats don't get, help you with sight at all. So, but there must have been some magic in that top hat they found. Okay, sure. That's how it came to life. Go find a magical top hat. Guess what? It's still not going to make you see better through coal. Uh, Just throwing that out there. You know, it's coal. I mean, you could be more Christmassy about it. You could go, oh, yes, Justin, it'll be a jolly experience. Like, you know, just get in the Christmas spirit, put coal in your eyes. You'll love it. You know, you could be at least more Christmassy about it. No, because then I would lose a point. And homie, don't play that. (laughs) Damn. I mean, Justin, come on. I'm the Grinch and Mr. Scrooge if they hadn't bitched out. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. (laughs) 
they don't have the dedication to keep hating Christmas like I do. <laughs> they were soft. You know, I feel like this is accurate. This is very accurate. Yeah, that, that was a pretty accurate description of you and your quote unquote Christmas spirit. They're not really about this life. I am. <laughs> like people, you know, across this country every year constantly complain about the war on Christmas. And all I have to say is that is I'm leading the fucking charge against it. I am the fucking war on Christmas. And I'm also I accurate. Will not rest until it is gone. Can I play the drum for you? <laughs> next to next just to losing points ear. left to right, Justin. You just lost another one. I, I think that Merry was my favorite. I think that was my favorite conversation we had, though, about like why would you do that next to a baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what did I say? He might have super hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might have super hearing. Like, wait, that's not just the opposite. That's even worse. You know what, Justin? But I'm actually gonna. Take it. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna rescind. I'm gonna rescind me taking a point away from you when you did that. When you when you sang a little drummer boy, I'm gonna rescind my point takeaway. Just because I'm I'm starting to come around on little drummer boy, and I'm starting to think that maybe he was on my side. <gasps> And he was sitting there and trying to deafen Jesus on Christmas as one should on Christmas, because that is the perfect holiday to deafen babies with drums. Wait, so would that mean that I get my point back? Nope, because you did it out of spite. I did not. I definitely did not. No, you did. Man, and and he gets and the singer gets so loud. Like on that part, I play my drum for him. So I mean, he had to have been drumming loudly. Yeah, like he was trying to deafen a baby on Christmas. I can actually, th- I think I can get behind that. I think he was kind of like a proto Sterling, trying to ruin Christmas, and somehow all the assholes behind Christmas tried to turn it into a good thing for Christmas. I think I know what the little drummer bro was trying to do. He was trying to prevent Christmas before it started. Alas, just I mean that boy was. I I could just see the look of determination in his eyes, man. Like I didn't have a gift. This is going to be my gift to you, and him just rump a pum pumming, pump a pum pumming away. You know. So all, all I'm hearing from you, Justin, is you are pro-deafening babies on Christmas, just like me. Well, we already said he has super hearing. He could take it. He could take it. Once Durable again, Justin, whatever that's not it. how super hearing works. It would make <laughs> him more deaf. Just once again, Justin. Well, when he just go, ah, oh, but it wouldn't really hurt him because it's super, right? Like, no. Super. No, that would make his ears more sensitive. Oh, it's not super deafness. Kind of super hearing. Like super deafness is, I think, what you're looking for. Oh. 
He's just more deaf than a normal deaf person. And that's how he can survive drums next to his brain. <laughs> but I do. I think the little drummer boy was tre- secretly trying to kill Jesus. Hey. And Justin is pro that via drum. Ah. So are you a double agent, Justin? Are you a double Christmas agent where you act like you love Christmas so much, but secretly you're on my side? (laughs) Are you being like Troy on community where you're secretly infiltrating Christmas by singing all the songs and doing the traditions just to take it down? If so, I completely misjudged you, Justin. You might even be more anti-Christmas than me. If that's possible. Uh, I just really, really, really like the songs. Yeah, because it's trying to kill Jesus. I get it. We're on the same page, Justin. I mean, we're just, I mean, you just, you just get in that Christmas spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you, tr- you bang a drum next to a baby's head. I get it. We're seeing eye to eye now, Justin. Best Christmas song ever. The first battle of the war on Christmas. I get it. (laughs) You're not liking how I turned this around, are you? No, it's pretty cool. It just makes me want to listen to the drummer boy. All right, Justin. Go celebrate the war on Christmas just like me. I get it. I'm going to go listen to the drummer boy after this. I want to hear the harrowing tale of how he tried to assassinate Jesus. When you say the As war a baby. on Christmas, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to imagine this huge, like open snow field and like <laughs> you're going into battle and you've got an army in there and you're fighting against like reindeer and elves and there's candy canes and Christmas lights. There's cannons that fire <laughs> presents of people and the, the trees are Christmas trees are being knocked over and used as battering rams. You're just making me imagine a literal war on Christmas where all this stuff would be happening. And I will kill that son and, of a bitch, Santa Claus. <laughs> and slays. And then, and then uh, what's that song? That would have to be playing during this, you know? And there's a little drummer boy running up to every little baby on the other side, just banging his drum next to their head, trying to kill him. I get it. Oh, the babies are at war. Okay. Like, I guess. Yeah. Well, they're a part of Christmas. And like the little, yeah. little Christmas babes. Little nutcrackers and Christmas nutcrackers and stuff like that. And drummer boys are trying but to I kill I feel them. like it would just, but I feel like it would just end with somebody going, what are we doing, guys? Come on. Like, and I would take that moment of distraction to shove a sword <laughs> through Santa's neck. Why would you do all that, though? Then you couldn't have the milk and cookies or whatever. Yeah, then I'd go eat the milk and cookies myself. Fuck that fat guy. Well, like I said, Justin. I am leading the war against Christmas. 
You never woke up and had soft chocolate chip cookies from Santa? Dude, soft chocolate chip cookies suck. Unless they're hot. If they're just sitting out all night, soft Christmas cookies, they're gross. No, I'm talking about whether hot, like hot. You like, can't have hot, freshly baked cookies sitting out all night. Like like hot, chewy. They would, you cool, know? They would cool down. Straight from Santa. Santa doesn't give out milk and cookies. He doesn't? No. He eats them because he's greedy. And that's why I must stop the man. (laughs) Everybody thinks he's all nice and shit. No, he is running around and eating children's cookies. I'm doing it for the children. I will end his reign of terror. Not only that, he's a voyeur and watches you all the time. And not only that, Santa watches children all the time. He is a pervert of the worst kind. We'd have to be pretty athletic to slide down all those chimneys and stuff. So, yes, because that's an Olympic event. You'd have to have a workout routine. You don't have to be, to be you don't have to, do to be, you don't have to be athletic to slide down something. He's got to get back up it, though. How do you know he just doesn't walk out the front door at that point? They don't say that in the books, in the legends. Like, he just goes back up. Yeah, but they don't say he's athletic either. Just what did Tim Allen do in the Santa Claus? Didn't Tim Allen go back up the chimney? Well, that was magic, not athleticism. Oh. And on top of that, he's a demonic magic user. (laughs) We must stop this evil man. Stealing all the milk and cookies from the children. Watching them all the time. Having them come sit on his lap. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. The cookies are so soft, though. They're not, Justin. You put the cookies out at eight. Theoretically, Santa's coming at like midnight. No cookies still soft and warm four hours later. Just saying. And who the fuck is also baking cookies to put on the Santa plate? Come on, everybody just grabbed two chips ahoy and threw it on the plate. Come on. I liked them. You liked the Chips Ahoy on a plate? I like the soft batch of cookies. Yeah, Justin, you did. And Santa's trying to take them from you, Justin. I'm trying to make sure there are more soft and warm, freshly baked cookies for you. Or you know what, Justin, you could give him some chewy muffins instead. <laughs> oh, those are, those are the best. Oh, my gosh. Jastin, no, nobody, nobody agreed with you. Nobody, oh nobody wants a chewy muffin. No one agreed oh, with you, Jastin. Do oh, this I day. need that right now. <laughs> okay, you're, you, so you're saying you have just a stock of chewy muffins in your house? I got to go get them. <laughs> mm. You sound real serious about this, too. I'm serious as a heart attack. 
right now about those chewy muffins. Great muffins. All right, Justin, I want you to go on on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere tomorrow morning and go, hey, guys, who's got them chewy muffins? And just see what anybody says. They're, they're going to be like, ew. You might get some interesting responses. <laughs> There's going to be somebody that's going to go up on there and go, I've never had a muffin. Yeah. <laughs> just really for no reason responding <laughs> yeah. to things. I've never had a muffin. I'm too busy uh, focusing on my no candy canes. And I, you know, so I won't be partaking in any chewy muffins. I don't eat muffins. I eat cupcakes. So yeah, it's going to for sure. At least one of those for sure. Or they could think I'm talking about something gross though. They could think I'm talking about hard muffins. Which is also not really a thing. Like, there's no crunchy muffins running around, Justin. Uh, those are so bad. They're the worst. Wait, when do, explain to me how you've had a crunchy muffin, Justin. Like when they're not cooked well, overcooked, or you try to eat it, and it's like... Ugh. Like a burnt muffin? when it's muffin? just hard. Like it's just hard, yeah. Or like a burnt muffin, or like when it's hard, you never... Bitten into a muffin and it was hard, and no. you were like, "Why?" No, because it's still this? a muffin. Just for it to get that hard, you would have to overbake it by like at least thirty or forty-five minutes. Like, man, why would anybody do that? Did nobody does do well, that, Justin? And then they don't eat them. Nobody takes the rock hard muffin and try to eat it. Like, well, maybe it was like that by accident, but but I didn't like it. All, that's all I know. Because I, I don't like think it. you've ever had it. Just like you've never had a chewy muffin, because it's still an impossible way to describe a muffin. Why can a muffin be chewy? I mean, because to become chewy, you would be putting things like an egg wash on it to stiffen the outside crust when it bakes like bread. (laughs) You don't do that with muffins. I think it's chewy. You don't do that with muffins, Shasta. You don't use the ingredients to make it chewy. I just ate it. It was chewy. I, mean, I, I can't dictate. No, Justin, the, the ingredients I, you use would do that. I just I bit into it and I went, mm, chewy. No, you didn't. <laughs> Worst case scenario, that was a roll. That wasn't a muffin. I just ate it. I was. And I was like, this is chewy. And she went, is it good? I went, yeah. Just no, you wouldn't do that with a muffin. You're not not making ciabatta bread and then throw blueberries in it and then throw it into a muffin tin. (laughs) It's it's not how it works. I just can't tell you, but that's just what I I ate it. And I just... 
Chewy. Yum. Justin. Is it possible, just possible, that you just used the wrong adjective then? And it wasn't actually chewy. I thought it was pretty chewy. Justin, no, there's no such thing as a chewy muffin. <laughs> Let alone a good muffin that is chewy. <laughs> like it's, it's, it still wouldn't be good. Why wouldn't it be good? <laughs> That's not how it works. It's just not how it works. It's not a steak. It's it's a muffin. <laughs> I mean, it's. <laughs> I feel like you really just mean a soft muffin, <laughs> like a like a moist muffin. That's what I feel mm-hmm. like you mean. Yeah, yeah it was just like that's no, not chewy. chewy. That's not chewy. <laughs> a moist muffin is not chewy. It's moist. It's something good. It was just so soft and chewy. No, Justin. <laughs> we tried to bail you out. And allow you to change like the a, adjective. It's not like it's a not. steak, but just like a muffin, Chewy. That's what I mean. Yeah, but when you go into bread products and you describe so now there's chewy, like levels of Chewy. It's when you go <laughs> there's levels of Chewy now. There's steak level yeah. Chewy and muffin yeah. level Chewy. And muffin Chewy. I want you to put that on Facebook, Justin. Yeah, Can anybody explain to me chew. the difference between steak Chewy and muffin Chewy? Or like you know, chewy chips oil, like the soft, the soft cookie chew. So that's chewy too. That's still not the chewy. same type of cooking, Justin. Like when it comes to baked products, chewy means something different. Soft doesn't necessarily dictate chewiness in the baking world. Have you ever had a chewy cake, Justin? Uh, I don't think so. Exactly. Maybe? It's the same reason why you can't have fucking chewy muffins. Are you sure? Yes. Because technically, I honestly believe the only way a muffin could be chewy is if the inside is just raw. So did did your grandmother or mother make muffins and just put them in the little muffin cups and we're about to put them in the oven and you just took some raw muffin dough or batter or whatever the fuck it is and just eat that? I mean, they were like, I just remember, they were like pecan pie muffins or something. Justin, no, that's not a thing either. You cannot have a pecan pie muffin. Yeah, you can. No. They made it. You're talking about those little pecan bites, right? A pecan pie has that custard with it. You can't have that with the muffin. And also, that wouldn't be chewy. You couldn't be chewy. You couldn't make a chewy pecan pie muffin. No, Chastin. It'd be like a little pecan tart, maybe. Or a mini pecan pie. Then why did pie? they call it that? Did they? Did did she call it a muffin? No. But it wasn't a muffin. It's it was like a pecan, pie pecan. Bites, basically. It sounds like okay. It, it sounds like, like Justin. You're she made mini pecan pies, and you think they're muffins. 
No, she said they were chewy pecan muffins. It's not getting any better, Justin. She said they were chewy pecan pie muffins. She didn't say that at all. <laughs> I said it was, she said pecan pie muffins. I was like, it's chewy. <laughs> no, Justin, there's just mini pecan pies. <laughs> Yeah, it's just mini pecan pies that she cooked in a muffin dish, Justin. That's not muffins. <laughs> she called the pecan pie muffins. It's not a muffin. I feel like your world just got upended, <laughs> and I feel like you're going to need a minute to take this in right now. It's just not a muffin. They do exist. They do exist. They were. Yes, they do exist. You can look them up. They're even on here. There's like eight, four or five different recipes I just found. Many pecan exist. Do, 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 are they called chewy? Are they called chewy pecan pie muffins? Let me see. Let me put chewy. I just put pecan pie muffins. Let me put chewy pecan pie muffins. Chew PPMs. It comes up. I mean, it says rich and chewy. Those are muffins. muffins right here. Those are not muffins. Those are just mini pecan pies. Those are chewy pecan pie muffins. To, <laughs> to Jason's credit, I just looked it up, and there's a a little um, URL here that says rich and chewy pecan pie muffins. <laughs> Who it's the fuck thing. is making this? It's some white <laughs> bitch, isn't it? It's on food.com. It's, it's I don't know. some white bitch. I told you, Sterling. I told you, it's Richard Chewy Pecan I'm looking at these. About I'm looking at all these little these little mm-hmm. pecan pies that are like, it's five ingredient pecan pie muffins by Southern Sassy Mama. These are mini <laughs> pecan pies, these fucking dumb and, fucks. But also, there's another one right next to it that says Chewy Pecan Pie muffins in quotations. <laughs> So, oh, I don't know. So maybe they're not way. true muffins. They're not. They're mini pecan pies. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking white people are just adding the word muffin to it for no reason. See, well, why would they cry muffin, man? I thought it was a muffin. It's not. These are pecan pies. Why would you pies? cry muffin if it's not a muffin, though? Because they're like, like white a cornbread ass muffin. Was- I would just assume it was a muffin. Like, if you cry muffin, I'm going to think it's a muffin. There's this one picture. It's all rich and chewy pecan muffins, exclamation point. And it shows like a fucking blueberry muffin. It's not even a pecan. That's true. That's exactly what I was looking at when I read that off. These are not chewy. That's exactly what I was looking at. These are all just called it. This is just all asshole bullshit. <laughs> well, she must have thought she was really making because she said it was a pecan pie muffin. So I just no, I'm I'm, like, I'm now I I stand corrected on that, Justin. What she made was probably these fucking things, and they call these pecan pie muffins because they're a bunch of I assholes. Think the, key, the key word that was left out previously though was pecan pie. You just said chewy muffins, and so that was a different <laughs> thing. <laughs> So now we got some clarity. So Man, I'm looking at all these things now. and none of these should be called muffins. Worst case, maybe a tart. There's these ones that kind of like pecan pie cupcakes. Of course, they have to change it again. Man, see, and then these other ones, I'm looking at some other ones that look like muffins. They actually genuinely do look like muffins. They're pecan muffins. They're not pecan pie muffins. These are pecan muffins. That's different. And still, it shouldn't be chewy. 
<laughs> it still shouldn't be Chewie. Because she made him because you know. anymore. Because she made him because you know pecan pie is popular. Like a lot of every time we always have somebody that makes a pecan pie. That's just kind of a, a you know th- yeah. that's no, one of those default family cakes or whatever. Well, she was like, hey, I got these. Chewy pecan pie muffins I made. I was like, oh, it's a pecan pie muffin? And I ate it. I was like, it's chewy. She went, yeah, man, you know. I mean, she she cried muffin. I thought it was a muffin. The funny thing is, you know? is like, in all seriousness, when I'm looking at these, these are either mini pecan pies that they're calling muffins for whatever fucked up dumb reason, or they are just <laughs> pecan muffins that they're calling pecan pie muffins. It's just fucking bonkers what these people do. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? It just makes no sense. And like I said, the one that's like chewy pecan pie puffins, it's a fucking picture of a blueberry muffin. You can see the little blue dots in it. It's not, it's not <laughs> even a fucking pecan muffin. It's a blueberry muffin that they're like, yeah, look at this shit with a picture of a blueberry muffin. So maybe that's why, like in that other one, the muffins is in quotes because technically it's, it's not, a, not muffin. a muffin. Yeah, but why are they calling it a muffin? Is it made in the shape of one? Is it because of the shape? Is it, it why would why would you even need the muffin quotations? Honestly, why, it's probably because you use a muffin tin to make them. Okay, so maybe it's referring to the way it's cooked it's or just whatever. To mess up your whole childhood, Justin. That's what it is. I know, man. I, this whole time, I thought I was eating chewy muffins. Dude, Jesse, you never chewy thought you were eating muffins. chewy muffins. You still, I, I refuse I to believe you ever used that word in regard to a muffin. I just, it was chewy muffins. I thought it was a chewy pecan pie muffin. <laughs> I just have this distinct feeling that Justin is just making up the pecan pie part now because he was just sitting there Googling chewy muffins and that's what came up so it had to become that (laughs) he's like what's a chewy muffin because if you actually if you just google chewy muffin the first thing is chewy pecan pie muffins (laughs) (laughs) the next one's the rich and chewy pecan pie muffin with a picture of a blueberry muffin (laughs) it was pecan pie I just remember that because that's why she made it It was because she knew Louis liked pecan pie it's just really funny that I googled just chewy muffins. <laughs> it's pecan muffins again. <laughs> They're just back. It's pecan muffins or English muffins. Which technically, if you had said that, a chewy English muffin's delicious. Hmm. Is there a chewy English pecan pie muffin? No, there's not a chewy pecan pie <laughs> English muffin. Because English muffins are not sweet. I think sweet. we've lost everybody who might still be listening at this point. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's sad because I think that this is some of the best shit we've ever done. I I know I broke up laughing before on the podcast. I've never gotten to the point I couldn't talk. Oh man. That was oh, the first man. time I'd gotten to the point of I can't put together a sentence. Mm. Chewy muffins, man, it'll do it to you. You quit fucking saying chewy muffins. That's not a thing. 
It's still not a thing. It's documented. Sterling, it's documented, brother. I mean, Justin. you just got to take it. You just got to have it. It's Justin, still, it's these are the brother. same motherfuckers that put apples and raisins in potato salad. Are you really wanting to use their adjectives, <laughs> Justin? <laughs> I'm just saying, they're the type of people that go, man, I'm going to make the most delicious chicken you've ever had, and they don't even season it. Uh, These are the same people, Justin. They're like the type of people that will sit there and just boil a breast of chicken and go, it's so moist and delicious. Man, the next time I come to Chicago, will you just try to make me one chewy muffin? Just one. Well, no, Justin. All right. The next time you come up here, I will make a batch of them because it's very hard to scale it down to one single muffin. (laughs) It's just a lot of math to break it down to make one muffin when it's just like three grains of salt, two micro specks of baking soda. That'd be just very hard. <laughs> okay, I get that. But yeah, we could do that. We could have muffins and talk about cinema. All right, how about this? Next time you come up here, let's all get or go on the internet. And find a recipe for chewy muffins. And we will we will make all three recipes of chewy muffins. And we will see which muffin is the chewiest. That's tight. Deal. That sounds like a that sounds like a deal to me. We will have a chewy muffin off. Is that fair? I like that. All right. Muffins are nice. And then I'll try to like sneak just one stale roll in there and I'll just put a pecan on it. So you'll think it's a chewy pecan pie muffin and eat a stale roll. No, don't ruin my streak. I think there was one episode that I I wished stale rolls upon you because you weren't on it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I want to say it's when me and Heather did the Psych 3 episode. I I, I said something about how you were an asshole and didn't watch uh, Psych. And uh, I wished a stale roll upon you. I'm so glad that hasn't happened because, boy, I had some rolls not too long ago and they were fresh. I think now this is officially the longest ending we've ever gone. Yeah, I think so. I think we're at like 30 minutes now. If you're still listening to this, I am sorry that we went a little crazy at this point. But I still refuse to, by any reasonable definition, believe that any of those are actually muffins. And that Chewy should be describing them. I'm just throwing that out there now, still. But anyway, I'm out.